Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. It is Friday, January 27, 843-661-0937. Today is the day that Freehold bears us, or bids us farewell. Am I right, Freehold? Yes, sir. So when are you heading to the state that has the most extreme... Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. He feels neglected no, if I don't, I don't right. you know, single him out yeah, early in the morning to make day. sure people know he hears, uh, he's here on time. Rev's always here on time. Hey, Dave. He's not here early, <laughs> but he's here on time. Now, in fairness to Rev, I bolt out of here as soon as the show's over. He endures. He's here until things get done. The I mean, sometimes, done. yeah, it's Saturday right. and Sunday and, and whatever when these... Um, my strategy's always been to know enough about radio to be needed, but not in big demand. <laughs> Good strategy. I mean, that, that's and, always and been my strategy. Well, I mean, I left the truck body business and, you know, my name's on the building. I'm responsible for a lot of things. It doesn't matter if it's Sunday midnight, if a waterline bust or if something, you know, if the sheriff's department is getting in touch with someone because lights are left on in a truck at a parking lot. You're the one that gets out of the bed at you know, 11 or 12 midnight, go and, and make sure nobody's stealing a truck or stealing a battery or, in today's world, stealing a catalytic converter. I like not being the guy they call when things aren't going well on Saturday and Sunday. Rev is that guy. Mm-hmm. When, when, a, when a signal doesn't um, working properly, Rev has to go out and um, figure out what the, uh, what the problem is. True. And he does it. Does it very, very well. Yeah, so know. back to Freehold. We got Rev taken care of. Okay, back to thanks, Freehold. Yes, thank you so much. Because it's his last day. We got to celebrate. And not celebrate in a bad way. Celebrate in a good way. I mean, Freehold's found something else to do um, in the state with the most extreme weather in the continental United States, excluding, of course, um, the wild frontier. What's it called? The new frontier? Isn't that kind of what Alaska is referred to as? It's the land of oil revenues and, and, and people that drink a lot. I mean, that's what I remember it as being. So Freehold. How much research have you done on the weather in Montana? Uh, believe it or not, a lot. Okay, um, and yeah, and I mean it's cold. Okay, and <laughs> it's windy. Uh, yeah, and there. So the biggest difference. So I was looking at the averages, and it's not too too far off from like Boston or you know like upstate New York. But um, when it gets that, I don't remember ever um, in the Northeast having it be like ten fifteen below which Montana has, even though the averages are similar, it gets way colder. It has a, a period, it has a, what, 15, 16, 18 days every winter of sub-zero temperature. You don't get that in New Jersey. You don't get that in Buffalo. Yep. I mean, you get cold weather, but in Montana and Wyoming, you can go, you know, the month of January and every other day be below zero. I think the coldest temperature in the history of the United States may be in Montana, like 70 degrees below zero. I ain't talking about the real feel. I'm not talking about the windshield. You know, I got a buddy of mine that says, well, I mean, if, if the real feel is 20 below, it's 20 below. I mean, if that's, that's the way right. it feels. That's the way it feels. I mean, stop with a, with a three degree above zero. You know, at game time in Green Bay, it's three degrees with a windshield or real feel of 10 below. He said, well, it's 10 below. I mean, if that's the way it feels outside, then that's the way it is. But Frio's right. I mean, it's the, the weather in Montana and Wyoming are no colder on average than the weather in, let's say, on uh, Buffalo. But it's got the um, the days of sub-zero temperature that the great Northeast uh, just does not have as much of. Why is that? Is it? I'm, it's, I'm, sure I'm telling it, you, yeah. it's, a, it's something to do with the Rocky Mountains. I mean, those two states have some, there's some weather effect, steering effect of the Rocky Mountains, and it does something to the, uh, here I go talking about something I don't know anything about, the jet streams and the weather conditions and the prevailing forces 
and the directing currents and all these wow. other. I mean, the Rocky Mountains is a big old deal, You're a man. Meteorologist now. Well, I mean, I know I'm not. I just said I don't know much about <laughs> that, but I know enough to be dangerous. You know how I am. I know a little bit about a lot. I don't know a lot about much of anything, but I know a little bit about a lot of things. I spent two weeks in Eau Claire, Wisconsin in the middle of winter one time, and it never hit zero the whole time I was there. Mm-hmm. Never See, reached zero. But but it Wisconsin affected by, well, like Buffalo, some of the lakefront weather, some of the lake effect so. weather. Um, it was I mean, cold. The, That's all I remember. Well, I mean, Buffalo. I mean, we know the deal in Buffalo, right? I mean, the majority of weather in Buffalo is steered by the, the, the you know, the lakes that kind of act as, as small oceans almost because they're they're so enormous. Well, well, the Rocky Mountains have some sort of steering effect or, or conditional effect of the weather. Because if you think about it, South Dakota and North Dakota are further north. I mean, you would expect them to be colder, but it's the way those two states are placed in regards to the Rocky Mountains of the way Wyoming and, and Montana. Wyoming and Montana have more severe weather than North or South Dakota. Now, I don't want any part of any four of them, and I wish you nothing but the best. Um, if I did win the $100 million lottery and moved to Wyoming, I'm, I'm staying in Pawleys Island during the winter. I mean, I never <laughs> said I'm moving out there during the, uh, during the, uh, what I would probably do. Here's my dream life. You ready? What I'd probably do is buy me a, I mean, you don't buy a hundred acre farm in Wyoming. You buy a 10,000 acre ranch. I want to be a real cowboy. So if I won the big lottery and I'm talking about if I ended up with a couple hundred million bucks and you could do anything you wanted to. I mean, if you win the $5 million lottery, you're better than 99.99% of the people, but you can spend that money. I mean, you can run out if you, if you, if you win the, uh, the $5 sure. million lottery. But if you win the lottery and end up with a couple hundred million dollars free of taxes and everything's paid up, I mean, you could kind of do about anything you wanted to. And if not, shame on you. But but I would, I would buy me one of those ranches. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I ain't going off the grid. I ain't putting mails in the, I mean, excuse me, bombs in the mail. I'm not writing a manifesto. It's nothing about that. I would just get away from the people that I don't care much of. And it seems to, that seems to, live, seems to be growing longer and longer and longer every day. But you love people. Like, you love to be around people. You like to talk. I'm liking them less, Rio. (laughs) (laughs) I'm liking them less. Okay, but in general, you enjoy My life has required me to associate with people. I mean, in my business life, my my brother was not the the relationship expert. I mean, I was the guy that handled all the relationships in our business. He was the guy that when a piece of equipment needed to be fixed or, or moved or replaced, I mean, he was kind of the nuts and bolts guy in the business, and I was more of the... Uh, relationship management part, human, what am I trying to say? Customer service and, and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I've always liked talking to people. Um, but, but I, I'm telling you, I, something's happening to, to our world that, that I find myself so disagreeable about. I mean, it really, and truly does. my worldview is becoming more and more and more of a minority position. So instead of making myself miserable by arguing with people all the time about their worldview, my worldview why not just find a retired veterinarian to look after your cattle in Wyoming if you win the couple of hundred million dollar lottery, go out there when it warms up in the winter, um, excuse me, in the summer, and just live your life free of uh, all that, you know, nonsense. But but you're right. I mean, my, my world has always required me to be interacting with people, and I think I'm decent at it. I mean, I like having friends. I, I like talking to friends, but but I find myself now having opinions that I don't perceive to be extreme, but but even some of my buddies will say, hey, man, pump the brakes on that a little bit. Now, I don't say that quite as aggressively as you say it, um, but I believe it. And I mean, there's no question about it that, that I crafted an email. Here we go with personal business again. 
I've, my, my daughter's in a class where the professor is demanding. It was a request to begin with because she is a high risk. And I mean, COVID is spiking. Well, that's, you know, I don't know if she's a high risk or not. Losing weight. Um, and because I've seen the video. And she's, um, and she's now requiring. It's gone from request to require. So uh, I did what any parent would do. I listened to my child's plea. I listened to their concern. Um, and I've told you before, my daughter's more like me than either of my boys. I mean, she really is. She's a, um, she would be somewhat of an activist. But uh, so, so my daughter sends me a, a clip, you know, a phone recorded um, moment or two of her class when the lady says it's a linguistics class. And, and I'll tell you what really frustrates me, but I don't go there because I'm trying to be guarded. I'm trying to be careful here. Um, so she, the, the linguistics teacher is basically saying, um, I'm going to clean this up. You ready, Rev? Mm-hmm. Is it Alla effing Bama or effing Alabama? I mean, that's what she says in front of the class. She doesn't say effing. I mean, is it effing Alabama or Alla effing Bama? So I'm going like, really? I mean, that's what we pay 25 grand a year for, for a professor to stand up. Now, I can mm. already see that this lady probably doesn't have a lot of tolerance for my opinions, and I probably wouldn't have a lot of a tolerance for her opinion. So I reached out, to, but that's not the deal. I mean, I get that there's a brave new world out there, and academia sees uh, in, in the world in a very different light than I do. And maybe the, the woman thinks she's doing her job by challenging kids. There may be some, um, what was Howard Stern, the shock jock. Yeah. I mean, there there oh, may yeah. be some shock professors out there that, um you know, want to shock their kids into paying attention. I get that. Um, and I'm sure my daughter's heard that word before. I just don't need to pay a professor 25 <laughs> grand uh, a year, you know, for a education that includes that. But, but that's not my issue. My issue is the mask. So, so I call um, someone that I know has a good handle on what the governor's edicts and orders are, and there is no mask mandate. It's not allowed in a public space today for you to mandate a mask. I mean, if you run your business and you require people to wear a mask, that's your business. I mean, you have the right to do that. But, a, but in a public um, forum, when, and in universities of public domain, um, the, the, mask or, the mask mandate would be deemed, quote, unquote, illegal in, um, in, in the courts. So I craft, I call a board member and I say, Hey man, I got this complaint. I don't want to be that parent. I mean, I honestly and truly don't. And I worry about the parent that takes offense to a kid's family, maybe intervening in the affairs of, you know, their health and well being. In other words, uh, a turns into a B a three, eight turns into a three, six. And, right. and she aspires to do well academically. So I don't put any of that at risk, but I'm not a fool. I know if you insult a professor, uh, especially somebody like me, that they're not going to take kindly to that. So I reach out to a board member. I say, hey, who do I need to who do I need to send an email to to express my concern? I don't want to email the teacher because she ain't going to like that, and I ain't going to like her response probably. So I'm, I'm old enough and, and, and savvy enough to see what's coming down that pike. So I email someone in student affairs, the dean of student affairs. I hadn't got a response back yet, but it was amazing how artful I had to be in crafting you know, the, the email didn't want to offend anybody. I mean, I knew the way I wanted to say it, but I couldn't say it the way I wanted to say it. I, I wanted to say the lady has no right to make my daughter wear a mask. She ain't wearing the mask end of it, you know, do what you got to do. But I had to be more diplomatic and careful. And as I'm crafting the email, I'm going like, wow, why can't I say what I feel? Mm-hmm. I mean, the lady doesn't have a right to tell my daughter or force my daughter to wear a mask, but I'm worried about offending a lady who's in control of my dollar's academic That's future. Right. Retribution. You better believe it, and you know it happens. You're Absolutely. foolish if you don't believe it happens. Somebody like us 
and I'm talking to the majority of you, if you're up at 6.17 on a Friday morning listening to a conservative radio show, that lady probably doesn't care much for your worldview. And yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, being, I'm, I'm stereotyping people. Of course I am. But, but I just got to believe that in an academic setting, someone like me would not be revered. <laughs> Let me leave it there. So I had to be real careful about crafting uh, the, the email. And actually, I'm copied my daughter, sent it to the board member. He said that's very, very respectful and appropriate. Um, we'll see where it goes. But that's the world we live in. And I'm just tired of living in that world. I read something uh, one day this week about Yellowstone, the series on Paramount. Am I right? It's the Paramount. I mean, I think it's broadcast on different platforms, but I think it's originally Paramount. I, I want to watch it. I haven't seen the first episode, and I did attempt to figure out where to start, which episode and where it is. Is it on Paramount or Peacock? I, I don't or, have any I mean, idea. I, mean, I, think I still don't know. I think there are different delivery methods, but I think it originated at Paramount, and it's filmed in Montana. I mean, it's a Montana-based, but, but it's kind of masculinity's last stand. I mean, when you think about, well, remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the government and an intrusion and um, and overreach and j- just overbearing nature of government and and I and I kind of came up with the theory that the 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 last thing government wants is a masculine population. I mean, masculinity c- kind of reflects courage, and and I'll stand against the grain. You know, I'll dig in if necessary. Uh, I'll fight for what I believe in. Well, masculinity is somewhat reflective of that, and and I think government. I think the demasculization. Uh, of America, you know, the, um, the toxic masculinity talk, I think it's very intentional. I think the, um, the American authoritative, authoritative agencies like the government, like academia, um, like corporate America to some degree, um, remember the old condition to conform. And I think the one thing they've tried to beat out of us is, is masculinity. I think the average American male is less masculine today than he's ever been. and, And therefore more inclined to let the government run over them. I mean, I, I believe that with every fiber of my being. And I think Yellowstone's intrigue and the reason it's been such a hit is um, it, it celebrates that. I mean, they, these are real cowboys. Uh, we were watching We Are the World. The, the, remember the USA for Africa? Sure. In 85, uh, my, you know, my daughter was kind of like, what was popular when you were young? And we're watching that. And we're talking about, you know, the, the, the musicians of then, the musicians of now, who was in it then, who was in it. Guess who walked out of the room? I mean, there was one musician invited to be at We Are the World, USA for Africa. He stayed about an hour and he left. Waylon Jennings. Really? Waylon didn't didn't take too kindly to to the way things were being done. He was very supportive of the calls. And and it's always been, you know, Willie kind of, Waylon got mad with Willie because Willie went along to be popular. And Waylon said, hey, man, either we're outlaws or we aren't. (laughs) Either we're cowboys or we aren't. And if you want the money bad enough to sell out with this crowd, then have at it. I'm leaving. And Waylon Jennings left about an hour into the ordeal. He's on the song. Well, yeah, he's on the I song. Remember. No question about it. But but Waylon got mad with Willie. <laughs> because, yeah, that. because Waylon basically said, Willie, either we're cowboys or we're not. And cowboys don't let, outlaws don't let these people tell us, you know, how we're going to do it. I think it's something about lyrics and the way it was going to be sung. And, and, and Waylon, I think the story is also Waylon may have had more to drink than he should have had uh, when he got there. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think masculinity is – you didn't know that story. I did not. Okay. Yeah, I, you see, I thought you were going to tell some Springsteen story no, no, because no, no, he no, was no. there. Bruce is there singing with Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles, yeah. I think. But, no, um, Waylon was there huh. and stayed about an hour and then, uh, and then left. And a lot of his frustration, from what I've read, was the um, – even in 85, the somewhat political correct way 
they wanted to do things. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Barry and Sharon. Morning, Barry. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, Freehold, just uh, go get as much land as you can get, bud. Save me a spot. I'll probably be there in three months. <laughs> kind of like getting what Ken is. I, I'm kind of I'm an outgoing person, but kind of getting in those uh, days of I don't want to deal with anybody. Um, Ken, why is nobody talking about how close we are to nuclear war? That's a good Does question. Does really realize that? How? I mean, this is Cuba missile crisis, uh, 1970s, 60s type. I mean, we're very close, Ken, and nobody is talking about it. There's been a steady, thank you, Barry. There's been a steady progression leading to further American involvement. There is no doubt about that, and you had to see this coming. I mean, I don't know how any sane person didn't see the writing on the wall. We're going to do just a little, a little bit of this in the name of American security, and then we did a little bit more and a little bit more, and it was, you know, a billion dollars and two and a half billion dollars, and then sixty-five billion dollars, and that's over a hundred billion dollars, and now it's tanks, and now Zelensky's requesting fighter jets. At what point does a Vladimir Putin say enough? I mean, we know Putin's in charge of nuclear armaments. We know that. What pushes Putin over the edge? I don't know. I don't have any idea. I mean, I'm extremely frustrated. I have, I've been consistent. I mean, I'm an anti-interventionist. And as the, um, as the Ukrainian situation develops, I become more of an anti-interventionist and more convinced that my position is the most sane position that we can have. Um, I'm very interested to see what J.D. Vance has to say. I think Vance has a news conference Monday or Tuesday of next week. I think he's back home in Ohio. And I want to see if anyone asks about, you know, have you changed your opinion? I mean, he's privy to information now. He was not when he was a candidate for the Senate. But once he become a, became a U.S. senator, and Vance would be probably as anti-interventionist as Rand Paul. I mean, he and Rand Paul would probably be the, mo- be the most outspoken critics of American involvement in places that we don't think um, pertain to our security and safety. Um, you know, when you look at the uh, defense spending, and I could talk about this, I intended to yesterday, but, uh, but Barry's right. I mean, we are, I'm not saying that Putin has his thumb on the, on the button. I mean, I don't have any idea, but... But we're escalating our involvement. There is no denying that. And the media is not talking about this as I think they should. We have made a dramatic escalation in our involvement. And I would predict we'll probably send fighter jets. I mean, I don't know how you get this far down the road without eventually boots on the ground. It's a dangerous and, game. And some it might be private contractors. I mean, it may not be uh, the civilian force. It may be some private contractors. But but it looks to me like that this... um. This is not going to end well. And I think there have been very inconsistent narratives on the, um, on the more hawkish view of our involvement in Ukraine. Uh, two months ago, we were told Ukraine is winning, and it's all about winning the war. They're actually going to defeat Vladimir Putin. Now it's if they don't get these tanks, their people will be slaughtered. I mean, it can't be one and the other. It can be one or the other, but it can't be one and the other. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. You know, when you're in the hamburger business, you don't need to run out of hamburgers. When you're doing a call-in radio show, you need the phones to work, and we apologize. The trouble is not in our set, not in your set. I would imagine it's in the provider's set, um, and it seems weekly. I mean, it seems like every week we have some issue with the phone service, and Mm -hmm. I don't get it. I mean, it'd be like going to McDonald's. Can I get a hamburger? We don't have any hamburgers. What do you mean? I mean, I understand if you're out of apple pies or maybe some ice cream. We know they're always out of ice cream, (laughs) but surely you're in the hamburger business. Can I get a quarter pounder? No, we don't have any hamburgers in the joint. We're doing a call-in radio show, 
and the phone lines are simply not reliable. And it's not Rev's fault, it's not Frio's fault, it's not mine, not yours. It's the provider's fault. And the provider sucks. And they need to be a better provider if they're going to be in that business. It's like McDonald's running out of hamburgers. And you know the name of the company because you probably know they suck as bad as how, we know they suck. How often do you see uh, like restaurants, local businesses posting on their social media, hey, phones are down today. If you're trying to reach us, reach out through Facebook or Spectrum. You know who it is. It's Spectrum. Spectrum is a horrible, horribly run company. I mean, they're in the business of providing a service and they don't provide it. Their service is far more sporadic than you contracted for. And somebody of influence or power needs to address it. Either they are going, I mean, it'd be like McDonald's not being in the hamburger business. I mean, you know, there's no law that says you got to be in the, you know, you can't, if you walk into McDonald's and they tell you don't, they don't have hamburgers, there's no law saying that you must have hamburger meat, but there's a choice across the street. You leave there and go to Wendy's. You leave there and go to Burger King. You leave there and go to wherever it is you choose to go. But with, with, with phone systems, you don't say, Hey, in the middle of the morning, can you bring me an extra phone system <laughs> that you've got laying around somewhere? It's I mean, the, the companies that are contracted and allowed to provide these services need to be reliable. And for the most part, they are, except this one company. Spectrum is not a reliable company. Am I wrong? People would probably love to call in and support my, but they can't. They, they can't because the phones don't work a third of the time. Eight four. Why do I say the number? Forget the number. Don't call 843-661-0937. The damn phones never work. But the worst part about this is they're a monopoly. Sure. It's the only place around. Well, right. Like I said, if, if, if you walk into a McDonald's and they say we don't have any hamburger meat, and you, you say, wow, you don't? No, we don't. We're sorry. We ran out. We sold our last one an hour ago. You, you, you get in your car and you go to Wendy's or you go to you know Five Guys or you go to you know Townhouse. You go to wherever you go and you get a hamburger. You can't do that with phone companies. And the companies that are allowed to provide the service need to provide the service. And for some stupid reason, this company struggles to meet the standards, and, I, and we're doing a call-in radio show. The host can suck, but we need the phones to work. <laughs> and it seems to be intermittent this morning, so we'll get calls on hold, and then every call will drop. Just happened again. Just now happened. And I, and I go back to the back and look at the modem, and it's just it's got no lights on it, then it's flashing. Okay, so. but how many times does that happen? It happens a lot. I mean, it's not the lunar eclipse. Exactly. I mean, this happens, you know, happens uh, all the time. twice a week. At least a couple of times a week, we have periods of uncertainty in our phone service. And we're in the business of talking to you every morning, and we can't when this company is so unreliable. 843, why am I giving the number? You can't call. Um, <laughs> just habit at Yeah, this just yell out your window. Um, <laughs> but but I, I would imagine the majority of you have been as frustrated as Spectrum as I have uh, at home. I mean, I've got some Spectrum services at home. It's intermittent. I mean, mm -hmm. it's hit and miss. It's, um, wow, had a good day there. You know, what What do you mean you had a good day? Everything worked like I thought it was supposed to. But tomorrow, who knows? Um, and I got no idea what the issues are. You would know much better than I. I don't know. But they're just we not just good at doing what it is they're contracted to do. And uh, once again, hamburger, the hamburger joint doesn't have a hamburger, you go to another one. Somebody's got a hamburger down the road. You can't call in the middle of the morning and say, hey, can we rip all of this phone service out and replace it during the next break? You know, we got to be back on in six minutes. Can we do? No, you can't. You can't do that. I want to go back to, because um, we can't talk to you, you got to listen to me. I want to go back to Barry's call about the, um, the, 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 the progression toward 
a potential nuclear war. I mean, that's, I don't want to say that's far-fetched. It's out there. I mean, it, it, th- th- there's another series of events that have to take place. But but I want to go, how many times, I mean, I remember back in the summer of last year when Kev asked for tanks. Well, to begin with, they asked for some of the ballistic missiles, right? And that was a no-go. I mean, absolutely no-go for the moment. Um, and then they asked for, well, we got that. They got some of the um, the anti-aircraft arsenals. And, you know, they got that from the Western world. Some of the German provide. Uh, some of the German equipment was provided, some of the American equipment, and then they wanted tanks. What is it, the Americans? The Abrams tank and the German-made, is it the Leopard or Leopard, uh, the, the, the German-made? Anyway, um, Ukraine requested and received some American-made and German-made tanks. Um, now they're asking, to begin with, it was the red line on the, I think it's the rocket launchers. I think I'm right here. Some of the um, anti-aircraft rocket launchers, and they were told no-go. Well, we went from no-go on rocket launchers to yes on rocket launchers to yes on on tanks, and, and I would imagine an eventual yes on um, jet fighters. They're requesting now. Um, in fact, there's a special Ukrainian envoy that is soliciting support from some of the Western nations to provide some of the advanced military arsenal of the U.S. and the Western world um, about aircraft. Um, can we, you know, will, will, will we sell or will we basically donate? Will we donate some of the advanced um, M6, excuse me, F-16s and a couple of other makes and brands of um, of American fighter jet? I think the um, the Germans are being requested to provide some of the uh, some of the jets, and and I think this is getting more contentious and more contentious. I mean, it's obviously escalating. And what is the end game again? Once again, in the summer of last year, rocket launchers were a no-go. I mean, there was a red line. You know, the, the Lindsey Grahams of the world said, we can't turn a blind eye, but there's got to be a red line as to how, um, how much we'll commit to involvement. Well, we, we, we've gone far past that red line, so forget rocket launchers for a second. Forget tanks for a second. We've already made that deal now, and now it's um, aircraft. That'll be next. And um, and there is an envoy. There's a Ukrainian envoy soliciting support amongst European and uh, European nations in America to further involve themselves with the um, the issuance of military aircraft. We'll see how that works out. 843-661-0937. Did someone get in? Okay, somebody's got a bat phone or something <laughs> we'll that, that works despite Spectrum's inferior <laughs> service. Let's go to the phone. Daphne and Dylan. Hello, Daphne. Hey, good morning. Uh, you take into consideration that Spectrum got the big contract with the government in the infrastructure bill, and they're busy digging cable lines all over the place, and uh, they are, are ensured that they will get a lot, billions of dollars, so their existing customers don't seem to matter too much. Uh, I, I, I recently found out from someone who lives in a suppressed neighborhood that they, uh, in fact, had notes put in their doors that they could get TV and Internet for $5 a month. I, in turn, got a thing in my mailbox out in the country that I could get Internet and TV but it would cost me $80, okay? So there you go. Anytime the government gets involved in anything, 
it's horrific. Uh, on the Ukrainian thing, uh, you know, we don't look at the big picture. Remember the transformation of America. Remember Hillary standing with the Russian uh, representatives saying we're resetting. Remember Uranium One. Uh, did and you remember when Obama was president that Ukraine gave up two pieces of property to Russia? So is this a plan? Is this in fact part of their plan to transform America, make us so weak, so in debt that we can't even protect ourselves? Is the fossil fuel part of that too? Uh, the open borders part of that too. Uh, you got to think about the big picture and what their intent is. Is it to bring America down? Thank you. Thank you, Daphne. Appreciate that. I do know this. I think I read it in Politico. Um, there's going to be a summit um, between, I think, the defense ministers from Ukraine are going to meet some of the Western leaders. I think America will be there. The 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 summit is going to be held at a U.S. military base in in Germany. I'm trying to think of the name of the city, and it escapes my. Anyway, in in, in Germany, we have an outpost. We have a military base in Germany. Um, there will be a summit where some of the Western leaders are gathering with the Ukrainian defense ministers. I think there are multiple folks that'll be there representing um Ukraine, and you can rest assured, aviation and their support will be amongst the um the topics. the The Dutch Parliament is already admitted. Why in the world do I remember? The Dutch Parliament has already agreed that um, that if asked, they would consider supplying American-made F-16 fighter jets. I mean, the Dutch have some of the uh, some of the American goods, and I don't know if they're obsolete or outdated or the newest, latest, greatest, you know, that we've sold to to, uh, to the Dutch. But the Dutch have basically said that they are open-minded to further involvement. Now, some of the um, I mean, I'll be honest, guys, if I was in Europe. I'd probably have a little different perspective. I mean, if Russia were my neighbor and I was concerned about the former Soviet Union being reestablished, the band getting back together, I mean, I may have a different temperature on my opinions about what we should do or not do, but I'm not in Europe. My job, my obligations are not to NATO. I mean, secondarily, they're probably to NATO and some of the world alliances, but but I'm the president of the United States. I'm a member of Congress. My priorities are American security. I mean, it's really fairly defined in the, in the Constitution. And I just think we've we've done things. And once again, the red line on rocket launchers, I mean, we blew past that. I mean, the debate last summer, will we or will we not provide rocket launchers? Well, let's think long and hard about, you know, um, getting that involved in these things. You know how that um, you know how that military creep go down the pike. But you've got, see, see, some call it defense spending. I call it military welfare. I'm sorry. I mean, I've gotten there. I mean, you know, a lot of you believe that it's legitimate defense spending. I don't. I think about 25 or 30% of it is military welfare and needs to be closely scrutinized and not supported. That's why I think the military budget could be cut by 25%. Because the majority of it, the majority of the 25% I'm talking about, I didn't say the majority of the $900 billion, but the majority of the money I'm talking about, if we cut military spending 25%, our military would be just as equipped today as it as it would if we fully funded it at nine hundred billion or a trillion dollars, which is what the requests are from both parties. I mean, it's kind of odd. We talk about the the two parties can't agree on much of anything. Well, they can. They spend money they don't have, and they waste money in our military budget. And I'm sorry. 
I mean, I just, I, I believe that. I think our military budget could be cut 25%, and we are still as equipped and committed to national security as we were spending 25% more. It's not defense spending at some point in time. It's military welfare. And the defense contractors who lobby our government in such a um, successful fashion need to be treated just like every other lobbyist or consultant or contractor. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few. 843-661-0937. couple of callers on the phone. Got about four minutes here for two callers. Let's go there. Mike in Darlington. Morning, Mike. Hey, um, I, I don't know what's wrong with the phone service, if it's Russian gremlins or the FBI trying to keep track of who's calling you, Ken. Could be both. But Could be both. I, I think so. I think so. But uh, it didn't. It wasn't always called. You're talking about t- testosterone. I mean, you look at those bomber planes. Uh, I had a cousin that was killed in the 8th Air Force in uh, 1943. And uh, he, uh, they went on missions where it, it was known that uh, one in eight of them weren't coming back, or if they came back, they were going to be dead. And uh, he uh, he w- he went anyway. And that kind of uh, testosterone—I don't know if—I I think it still exists, but uh, not as much as there used to be. And they had things on their bomber planes like uh, Peace on Earth, and uh, it would be considered uh, highly inappropriate these days, probably not politically correct. But uh, those those guys made it possible for us to win that war, and it was called the War Department. It wasn't the Defense Department. It was the War Department. And I, I think we need some truth in advertising here. We need a War Department. But we don't need a war department that's looking for a war every minute. They just need to be ready to fight it if we need to. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. To that point, and and I believe this, it's hard to really illustrate over the airways. I mean, you can draw it with a Venn diagram and a flow chart and all. Courage is necessary to enjoy life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Courage and masculinity aren't exactly the same thing, but one kind of leads to the other. And I think Yellowstone, I think the reason America's become intrigued with Yellowstone, it's a celebration of masculinity. It's a celebration of a man's man and a man behaving as certain people believe men should behave. And we've conditioned the man to not be as masculine, to, to not be as commanding, to not be as uh, courageous. And I do, I mean, you know, call me crazy if you'd like. I, I'm sure that that's the case. That The government is trying to beat the masculinity out of society because masculinity creates courage. Courage creates the ability to fight for what you believe in. And a lot of things you believe in, the government doesn't support. So the government can neuter society of masculinity and courage. It's a lot easier to force people to get vaccinated, to force people to shut up and sit down. Masculinity is something inside of a man that says, I'm not sitting down and shutting up. I'm not taking that medicine just because you said take that medicine. And Yellowstone, to me, uh, kind of a Montana and Wyoming and the West and cowboys and, and campfires and sleeping under the stars. That I, Yeah, I think the government's deeply concerned about those kinds of people. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. Hey, uh, kid. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's masculinity uh, by a bunch of sissy actors. <laughs> Ain't no damn cowboys on there. They are in the background. But, you know, my question is about this whole Ukraine thing is, uh, what uh, 
what is what I mean, what is going to be the benefit? I mean, what's going to change in the Ukrainians, average Ukrainian citizens' life if they're ruled by a corrupt government in Moscow as opposed to a corrupt government right there in Kiev? What's going to be the difference? And then let's say Vladimir does leave. Does anybody have any idea how many billions of dollars? So, I mean, they they have created this mess, and Daphne's right, it's all on purpose. And then, but the next thing I've been wondering, I'm trying to think, I don't, you know, the best, I think throughout history, there's only been about 1% of the male population that really was the ones that did the fighting. The vast majority of them throughout history have been sissies. So I don't know. I mean, if you think about it, how many real warriors, and I'm not, I mean, that's kind of the last thing I'd want to be, to be honest with you, but how many real warriors are there really out there? Now, there may be some brave people, don't get me wrong, but the guys that are swinging the battle axes were usually poor guys and stuff like that. But it's, I mean, how many guys do you know right now in your age group that you really think of as tough? I That's mean, interesting. Yeah, I, I, you know, I trade a bunch of guys, you know, and I got a carpenter that I trade, and he's probably pretty tough. A couple of other guys pretty tough. But the vast majority of the guys I trade here about Pleasant, you know, you know they went off. They, they aren't tough enough to pick their old nose. They wouldn't want to get hit with a Q-tip. So, I mean, how many tough guys do you even know? And then I think back on it when my, grand, my grandparents, my granddad and his friends, none of them even knew Muscle's address unless they may have been working on doing some kind of manual labor. But my dad and all his buddies, they were the softest bunch of guys I ever knew in my life. Got a hard break. Top of the hour, Breeze. We'll be back. In just a few moments. You know, there's something surreal about watching a murder trial or listening to a murder trial where you know the place, you know some of the people, not all of the people, but as a native South Carolinian and somebody who served in statewide elected office, I mean, I bumped into some of these people at certain times in certain places, and it's eerie to, to watch, you know, the um, what's happening in, in Colleton and Hampton County and some of, the, uh, some of the personalities involved. It's a national story. It's a global story. But it's still a South Carolina story to some degree. Um, Fox News Radio's Jessica R- Rosenthal is with us. Jessica, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I feel like I should interview you. No, well, I mean, you don't want to do that. I, I can assure you of that. But but yesterday, I mean, we heard from six witnesses. Um, there were a lot of graphic body camera footage. There were some nine one one calls. As a reporter and journalist, what what did you discern from the events of yesterday? Well, uh, I think it's fair to assess, right, that the prosecution here, which has begun the case with these six uh, law enforcement members and 911 dispatchers, is trying to create at the outset um, a a scene in which they are painting a picture where Alec Murdaugh, this man accused of killing his wife Maggie and son Paul, uh, was acting, right? Um, The the 911 footage, uh, the, the body cam footage, right, the first officers arriving on scene interacting with Mr. Murdaugh, they keyed in a couple of times on a moment when Mr. Murdaugh is sobbing out his wife's name and birth date and his son's name and birth date. And then out of the corner of his eye, he sees, I think it was a fire official walking by and his demeanor and tone changes. And he says, Hey, how you doing? They, they really wanted the jury to hear that sudden shift in from going from sounding like you're sobbing to, Hey, how you doing? They also asked every single law enforcement officer who took the stand if they noticed tears coming from Mr. Murdaugh as he was, uh, visibly distraught and emotional, and, and no one said they saw actual tears. Um, 
we also heard from one law enforcement officer, I believe it was Jason Chapman, he testified the longest. And he told the jury uh, that he understood Mr. Murdoch went back to his house to get a shotgun, to get a gun, believing, saying out loud, well, the people that, that did this, you know, I don't feel safe. The people that did this might be coming for me next. Um, that, that might sound like something actually that would help the defense, right? That this man was thinking in such a way that, that he was in danger. But the prosecution is actually using it to show, no, he had this all sort of set out and concocted. He was, he was very well aware of how to present himself as being fearful, as being sad. And another critical point that the prosecution has, has pointed out is that Mr. Murdoch, uh, upon officers arriving, sort of immediately volunteers what he thinks this is all about. He thinks this is all about his son Paul's wrongful death lawsuit and case involving a boating accident in which Paul was charged and a girl died. Um, and so he starts volunteering to the police immediately. Uh, th this is about my son, Paul. This is about that boating accident. He'd been receiving threats. So the prosecution is trying to clearly paint this picture of a man who, uh, and we haven't even gotten to all the, the forensic evidence they, claim, they claimed in the opening arguments to have. This is all just sort of at this outset, at the initial moments here of this trial beginning, setting the scene um, and painting a picture of a man who sort of knew what he did and was trying to act his way out of it. That was very interesting that you picked up on that. I did as well when he talked about the boat wreck and he's been getting threats yeah. and this could be, you know, um, the motivation for someone to have done this. Um, Jessica, from your perspective, you're a reporter and a journalist. I'm an opinion monster. What did you make of um, a former Senator Harputlian's performance as the attorney representing Alec Murdoch? I, you know, I've covered enough cases, but I'm, I'm no legal analyst, right? So I think from my from my very limited viewpoint, I could say, and especially after hearing some other analysts chime in, um, Mr. Harputlian might might not seem as um, organized as the prosecution at this moment, but this isn't his part of the case, right? He's responding, he's reacting. So is he reacting well is the question, right? Um, and I think from the analysts that we've heard, he, he is doing a pretty good job of, of being on it. Of, like for example, Thursday ended on a tense note. Uh, prosecutors throughout the, the day Thursday and the, even the day before to a certain extent had noted and pointed out this pool of water going from the dog kennel area, drifting down to Paul's body. Um, there was no rain yet. They were waiting for rain, but there was no moisture yet. So what is this pool of water? Well, the defense and, and th their side have said, well, water is very common in a dog kennel area. You're washing things out. But what was this pool of water doing? Well, the prosecution said to one of the officers, to one of the deputies, do you see this discoloration in the water? Is that consistent with blood? They're trying to intimate that Alec Murdoch maybe washed his hands off. Um, after committing these murders, which were apparently committed at such close range, you might imagine Mr. Murdoch being covered in blood. Um, and, and Mr. Harputlian was very quick to object to that, saying this individual is not qualified to comment on the discoloration. So it, it does appear uh, that Mr. Harputlian is somewhat emotional on behalf of his client. In opening statements, he said he did not do it. He went into extensive detail about the injuries suffered by the son, Paul, that is, and if kids are in the car at this hour, please turn it down. That, that brain, his brain was outside of his body. And so Mr. Harputlian is trying to paint this image to jurors. What kind of father could, could do that, especially a father who an hour before the murder made such a lovely, chatting, laughing video with his son just an hour before the murder? Um, so I, I think in my limited scope and, and 
knowledge of trials. Mr. Harpootlian is, is certainly emotional, a bit fiery, and, and on top of it, uh, even though this isn't his part of the case. Well, you did a great job of articulating what I feel happened yesterday. Thank you, Jessica, for your time. Thank you. It's kind of an interesting, you know, I'd ask our audience, I mean, we're here for you, and I mean that sincerely, because if you weren't there for us, we wouldn't be here for you. That's the way this thing works. Um, would you be in support or not of me trying to run down a member of the media to give daily updates? I mean, Rev and I've talked a little bit about that off the air. Um, I mean, would you like to see us dedicate a portion of our show every day to kind of bring us up to speed on exactly, because it's a global story. It's a national story, but it's still South Carolina. And I don't know these people. I know of these people. And when I ran for office and, you know, successfully won certain places by certain margins, there were certain people that you needed to be in good graces with. And the Murdoch family was very influential and prominent in that part of the, of the low country. So you're always aware of, you know, are they for you or not? You know, are they on your team or not? Once again, uh, not, not an intimate friendship by any stretch of the imagination, but friendly, so to speak, is as, as friendly as political folk in South Carolina um, tend to get. And it's a, I mean, it's almost surreal for me to, um, to have seen this family courtside of the Gamecock basketball game and, and then where we are today. I mean, that's just, there, there's an oddity there. Uh, I mean, it's real world. There's no question about it. But, but I think the point I'm trying to make is we do political opinion. We do political debate and theater. Would you like to see us? Would you like to see me track somebody down who is there, kind of boots on the ground? I mean, there are three or four people there that I think would come on every morning and give us an account, a recap of what happened yesterday and what could potentially happen um, that day. Is there that much interest in that story amongst our listeners? I don't know. I don't have any idea. I've kept up. But, but it's not a, um, I'm not consumed by it. I know some people that are almost consumed by it and want to know right. everything about everything that has ever happened with the Murdoch case. And it's interesting. People call it Murdoch, Murdoch. You know, it's spelled Murdoch. It's pronounced Murdoch. Uh, why is it Murdoch? Because that's the way they pronounce it. And um, mama named me Clay. I'm calling him Clay. You know, that's kind of the, um, the old uh, coming to America scene when they argue about Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay. Well, I mean, if they pronounce their names that way, then I think we should pronounce um, their names that way. But, d- d- you know, is there, is there interest enough in the case for our callers and listeners to want to hear uh, kind of better reporting, more up close and personal reporting than some, I mean, I read articles in the Post and Courier, State Newspaper, uh, Fitz News, does a lot of um, extensive coverage on this. Will has really dedicated his army of um yeah they're down uh, there yeah they're down there and they're covering it and doing a live feed and uh kind of real time comments about you know what 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 Harputlian did and what some of the um prosecution has done um you know the difference is always interesting to me the AG's office consists of lawyers that don't eat what they kill but they just don't. You know, some lawyers make a lot of money. Some lawyers don't make a lot of money. The ones that make a lot of money are the ones that eat what they kill. You know, they take off uh, some of the rough cases, some of the high-profile cases. Um, some lawyers like closing loans. You know, that's pretty uneventful. Uh, the worst thing you get is a delay in a loan or some, you know, the, the housing inspection didn't come back as we thought it would. Uh, the termite inspection revealed a problem, and they got to get that fixed before we close a loan. So, but some lawyers like the goriness. I mean, they like the, um, you know, the, uh, the tough cases and the, um, the controversial moments in judiciary. I'm just, you know, are we that interested 
in Florence Sumter and Orangeburg to, to get a daily update from somebody who's there at the courthouse uh, reporting in real time. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Boudreaux in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Hello, Boudreaux. Good morning. Uh, so you're going to be the man on the street, I guess, there, kid, and get us all the good dirt. And, well, the reason I really want to talk to you this morning, I'm in your fine little town of uh, Florence today, and I'd love to come by and meet you guys after the show, maybe take one of them meeting trees you've been promising. I, I don't think I can do that today. I got, I got a pretty strict Friday. routine on Fridays. Oh, Lord of mercy. Promises, promises. Catch me in the morning for breakfast then. We'll try. If you're gonna be in in Pauly's Island, we'll um we'll catch you for breakfast tomorrow morning. Oh, you got big plan. Good. Well, I listen. You shuffle me to the back. It'd be all right. But uh, anyway, I just couldn't come through Florence and not at least try to meet meet with my radio heroes. I hear you. I do. I, I threw that that term around kind of loosely, but you know what I'm talking we about. <laughs> thank, but, thank you, uh, very loosely. Thank you, Boudreaux. Appreciate that. Yeah, I'd get uh Fridays are kind of rev. rev I don't even want to go there. I don't we'll want just to say 10.01, the show's over. And I got places to yeah, go and, and things a, to that's do. That's a standing, that's standing uh, deal. Yeah. And the, the salespeople aren't crazy about it some days because <laughs> they've got conversations to be had and they know better than to mess with mm-hmm. me on, on Friday. Thank you, Boudreaux, for calling and welcome uh, to Florence. Welcome passing through our, our fine town. I would be for getting the updates. I mean, obviously, this is a story of national and, as you said, global intrigue uh, where reporters from all over the the country and world are here and interested and if we have the ability to to bring you know a little closer information because it is close to home for us uh, i think we should well i mean i, I know it can be interesting there, 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 i mean i don't know all the reporters down there obviously cnn's down there it's sure it's terrible i mean it's a horrific emotional. and tragic event i mean there's no doubt about it but it is very newsy and we are in the business at some point or some degree some level of being um of being in the news business. I want to go back to something we discussed yesterday. We're talking about gun violence. You're talking about, I mean, th- th- there were moments in the trial yesterday that were like, wow, I'm glad I can't see that. I mean, you know, her, um, the, the back of her head was blown off. The brain of the, of, of the son was laying beside the body. I mean, wow. I mean, that's, that's gory, but it's real and it's a trial and they're trying to paint a picture and the defense is trying to say, there's no way a father would have done that. And the prosecution is saying, of course he would under these, you know, dire circumstances and, and, and where his life had ended up. I mean, uh, what is a man capable of? Anything. I mean, that's kind of the competing narratives here. But yesterday we asked a question, and I don't know that we asked it as, as, as clearly as I tried to. And I don't know really how, how you ask this question clearly. But I was reading earlier this week about sentence leniency, cashless bond, um, you know, equity in sentencing. There, there's a big movement in America to na- to now about too many people in jail for too minor offenses. Um, okay, maybe there are. Maybe someone who's caught with simple possession of marijuana doesn't need to be in jail for 200 days. Maybe they fell through the cracks. Maybe that person who had a, you know, a joint or two or three doesn't need to be in jail for two or 300 days. But, but when you started trying to fix some of that, I remember a period of time when I was on county council that the former sheriff came to see us and had someone in jail for a couple of hundred days for failing to meet child support or pay child support. Well, how does he pay child? How does he ever catch up incarcerated? But, but that's, that's a dilemma. That that's, that's the way it was. The point I tried to make yesterday, and I don't know that we did a, a great job of it. So if we're into the sentence leniency, 
if the country has said, yeah, there are too many people in prison. There are too many people spending too much time in jail for two minor offenses. we got to change that. And as part of changing that, we've allowed violent offenders to be punished less severely than they probably should be. Most of us ascribe to repentance, redemption. You pay your price to society, and you're allowed to function as a normal American. I think Rev's nodding his head. He agrees with that in principle. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. What is the punishment? Whatever the penal code says. Whatever law you broke. I mean, if you serve your time, if you pay your fine, if you do, you know, do your time, so to speak, then you should be allowed to, to be back in mainstream society under some conditions. I mean, we have parole and probation and, you know, community service and a lot of other things that go along with that. But, but we've read stories recently about violent crimes happening in certain places where the sentencing has become so lenient, they probably shouldn't be back out. We, we've had, you know, violent offenders that, that shot and, and, and seriously injured, maybe not murdered, but seriously injured somebody in 2014 or 15 or 16 or 18, and they're back on the street again. And here was my question. Do I have a right as an American citizen to know that I'm in a diner eating um, dinner with my family and there is a person in the same room who has committed a violent crime with a gun? In other words, this person sitting beside me at a table has pointed a gun at another human being and pulled the trigger with the intent to kill. Do I have a right to know that that's the case? Because the story we told yesterday, um, and I think we gave a pretty good example, let's say that I'm not the kind to let things go. And there's a person at a table beside me mistreating a waitress. I mean, just horribly mistreating a waitress. And I'm the kind that would say, hey, man, knock that off. I mean, that lady's doing the best she can. I mean, cut, cut her some slack. Be, be kind to her. Show a little grace. And he stands up and says, who are you talking to? And I said, I'm talking to you, man. You're mistreating the lady. Stop doing that. And he pulls a gun out of his holster, and he shoots me dead. And we find out that's the third person he shot in the last 10 or 12 years. That's the second person he shot in the last four or five years. Who is the family? I mean, who's responsible for that? And, and I'm telling you, we, we head down this road. We were convinced as Americans that too many people were incarcerated. I'm about to believe the answer is to build more prisons, to have more people incarcerated, because we're reading more and more and more about sentence leniency and violent offenders being let back out on the street committing other violent crimes. And as a law-abiding American, for the most part, I'm not talking about people who have written bad checks or, or been behind on child support or have been white-collar criminals. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the, the, the person who's shown the ability to point a gun at another human being and pull the trigger. That's a different animal as far as I'm concerned. So do I, as an American, have a right to know that I'm in a diner with a person who has not written bad checks, not cheated on his wife, not gone bankrupt in business, but rather committed a violent crime against another human being with a gun? Because in Senate's leniency days, guys, and if some of these liberal lawmakers have their way, that's going to be pretty common. You're going to be in a diner with your family in a room that consists of someone who has committed a violent gun crime. But it's not their fault. Equality and, I mean, we're, we're taking responsibility, accountability out of, our, out of our ecosystem, and we're replacing it with equity and diversity and inclusion and all these other sorts of things. And it's not his fault. It's his socioeconomic challenges. It's the breakdown of the family. Doesn't matter what the problem is. The truth is 
whatever inside of him is still inside of him. Once again, we believed for a long time that paying your price to society allowed you to function as a regular American. I'm arguing that the system today is not forcing the people to pay their price. They're getting off not scot-free, but damn close. And the last thing we, and I, here's what I think is going to happen, Rev. I think you and I are going to be in a diner. And you're going to hear somebody mistreating a waitress. But instead of saying something, you're going to think, wow, that person could be the the the, the one they let out on sentence len- or leniency sentencing and and I don't want to I don't want to do that. I don't want to say anything. You'll become more guarded, more isolated, more you know, kind of hunkered down in our worlds. And and that's I mean, it's just, once again, there's no right answer. I mean, we agreed yesterday. There is no right answer or wrong answer. But the dilemma that that sentence leniency is creating is the 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 increased likelihood that you and I will share a room at some point in time in our lives with someone who has killed another human being. Do you have a right to know that is my question. 843-661-0937. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. Today in California, the Republican Party will choose its next um, committee chair. We think we know who that'll be. But Ron DeSantis threw a little bit of a monkey wrench in the plans yesterday with um not not a resounding endorsement, but but a... um ah, more of encouraging to Dylan than to uh, McDaniel. We have with us former assistant to President Trump. He is the principal of the Vogel Group, uh, Bill McGinley. Bill, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me. I've always assumed this was Miss McDaniel's um, in waiting. It's just a, a matter of uh, the, 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 the ceremonial process of electing a chairman. Is that still the case, or does Miss Dylan now have a chance? Well, the Dillon campaign is claiming a lot of momentum, but remember, prior to uh, her uh, her having a, a challenger, you know, uh, Ronna McDaniel released a letter uh, where a hundred members of the 168, the 168 members of the RNC, had endorsed her reelection. But that was before she had a challenger, um, and I think the Dillon campaign has been methodically trying to work over uh, some of the members who signed that letter to see if they could convert them. Uh, to Dylan supporters. So we're, we're going to find out at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time. That's when the first ballots uh, will be cast. I think we'll know within an hour uh, what the results of the first ballot are. Um, but publicly, it's been a very spirited campaign. I think the McDaniel and Dylan camps um, have been really been trying to lay out the case as to why they should be elected, but also why their opponent should not be elected. Um, and so, you know, the RNC election is the uh, ultimate crucible of retail politics shrouded in the mystery of a secret ballot. And so even though people are releasing numbers saying, you know, these folks uh, or this number is supporting us, you would never really know until you start counting the ballots. Bill, you mentioned it's a secret ballot. What do you make of DeSantis's comments? Um, I mean, obviously, it seems to me the base in the Republican Party, your strategist, you'd probably know better than I. But the base in the party is looking for anything that resembles an outsider. I mean, if you say the word outsider, you, their ears perk up. They're listening more intently or closely to you. Um, what, what do you make of the comments DeSantis said about our party has become too much of an insiderism oriented party? I think the governor's comments were really smart from his standpoint, aligning himself with the grassroots, um, which is always a great thing to do uh, for somebody in his position. Um, I also think that a lot of the grassroots are tired of having these anemic election results, if not bad election results that we've had over the past couple of cycles. And what people are really looking forward to 
or, or really looking for is a team that can be put together that's going to deliver the election results uh, Republicans believe they can achieve um, if they're able to make the machinery of the party um, fire on all cylinders. And, you know, I think that's really what this contest is going to come down to, which is, you know, which, you know, is it Ronna McDaniel or Harmie Dillon right now um, who can really marshal the resources of the RNC to get more uh, Republicans into elected office at the state, local and federal level. And the, in, in the grand scheme of things, how important is the committee chair? Well, the, the Republican National Committee does um, serve an important function because it's basically the federation of the state parties. Um, and the state parties should be really um, uh, juicing up their get-out-the-vote operations, right? I think one of the things that we saw in the 2022 election um, was that we really didn't have the get-out-the-vote operation uh, that we should have in some of the jurisdictions that counted, whether it was Nevada, Arizona, um, Georgia, and some of the other places. Now, the McDaniel folks will point to the fact that more Republicans voted than Democrats and that what they tried to put in place was successful. But at the end of the day, um, most people are going to measure success or failure by the number of Republicans who are elected. And so, you know, some of that is is, is, is a debate about whether Republicans uh, should embrace early voting and ballot harvesting in those states where it's legal. Um, as opposed to just writing it off and trying to all show up in person on Election Day. And I think the party is really wrestling with that. And I think the RNC chair is going to be an important voice uh, in that conversation because we can't keep allowing the uh, Democrats to use every advantage at their disposal um, and, and, and blocking Republicans from taking advantage of all the different ways their supporters can get to the polls. Very well explained. Bill, thank you for your time. Have a great day, sir. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bill McGinley, former assistant to President Donald Trump. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Jim and Florence, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. So, Ken, go, go look at the Florence County bookings. I just went on there just a minute ago. You can hear you can hear our next generation. Mm-hmm. I hear that. <laughs> yeah. What's well, um, that baby formula you can't find? Mm. Yeah, well, luckily we got an offer that. <laughs> But Ken, if you go through, let me pick him up for you. Real okay, you got it. If you go, if you go through the bookings, Ken, and you look at all the men in bookings that have been there longer than thirty days, it's all for murder, attempted murder, other violent crimes, gun crimes. People aren't being held in in jail for nonviolent drug crimes. So anybody that pushes this narrative, I mean, flatly is a liar, probably a, a race baiter pusher. Um, some type of grifter, um, you know, I've, I've talked about the uh, Sentencing Reform Act of 2010 and the problems it's caused in, in this state. Um, they told us they were going to lock up all the violent criminals and let out all the nonviolent criminals. And we simply found out that was another lie um, from our legislature. Um, but Ken, to, uh, to go to your other point about masculinity, uh, I think there's, there's some great young men coming out of the generations behind us um, that are going to be better than we are, better than baby boomer generation, better than the millennial generation. And I think it's important that um, we find avenues of supporting them, um, of, of extending um, our ideas of Western culture and Christianity to them um, instead of taking the idea of um, generational egotistic ideas that baby boomers often push um, and just throwing the baby out with the bathwater. 
Um, so uh, we need to find ways to encourage these young men. Um, and if, if, if we have some pre-notion about masculinity dying, what are we doing about it? Um, and I, I think millennials and the ones behind us are doing something about it. I don't see much from baby boomers, but thank you, Ken. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. Touched a lot. I, I want to go, and, and the point about masculinity is very interesting to me, and, and this is something I can see, but I can't say. I mean, there are a lot of things I can see as clearly as I'm looking through the glass at Freehold, who won't be there Monday. He'll be in Montana. But, but I can't see, I mean, I can't say it as clearly as I can see it. There's a fork in the road. And that fork in the road, one leads to conformity. In other words, I'm willing to do exactly what the government says do or what the corporate America says do or what big pharma says do or, because it's, it, it, it's, it's, my life gets more complicated to rev if I don't. It's far more rewarding to go along and get along. That's the concern I have. I think people still are inspired men. I can't speak to women. I don't know about femininity. I mean, I don't. Uh, it confuses me. It frustrates me. Um, but I can't live without it. So, um, so I'm kind of stuck with that. You're not in your head. You know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Um, and they probably feel the same way about masculinity and the man, but, but as a man, I believe that the reward should be in courage and masculinity and life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness and going against the grain. I mean, that, that is the greatness of America. The, the, the reality, the inspirational reality that I'm able to blaze my own trail and I understand the consequences when I fail. I accept the consequences when I fail. But there's a reward for being masculine. There's a reward for being adventurous. There's a, re- a reward for being courageous. And I'm going to take that lane because it has an opportunity to allow me to be um, more successful, more, more liberated, more free, more, more, more affirmed in my beliefs. But what we've done, Rev, is we've made that road so much harder. And we've made the other so much easier. And then there are men, I can't speak to women again, there are men who get to that fork and they say, you know, man, there's something inside of me that, that says I need to go this way because it is more rewarding and gratifying and satisfying and liberating and, and celebrates the masculinity inside. But, 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 but damn, they're doing a lot better than I am by going this other way. By getting in bed with government, being complicit with government, being compliant with government, doing exactly what Big Brother tells you to do. And I think when people are, I mean, most of us are a little bit like water. We, we follow the path of least resistance. And we've learned that the, the road that, that kind of celebrates masculinity and courage and accountability and responsibility and, and independence and rugged individualism, that road's gotten real complicated. Wow, a lot of laws, a lot of regulations, a lot of stipulations. Hard not to break those laws, those regulations, those stipulations. But, man, I can steer a little bit to the left, and I can get in government's good graces. I can get on government's good side, and there's not a lot of potholes in that road. Now, now you're right. i got to be a little less masculine, a little less courageous, a little more conforming. But it sure is a lot more rewarding and less complicated. And, and I just think that will be the death of America at some point in time. And when I said earlier about Yellowstone— I think the, 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 the intrigue with Yellowstone, I mean, it is men on a, I mean, it's, it's men playing cowboy. I mean, Breeze is right. I mean, they aren't real cowboys. It's men behaving as if they were real cowboys. But, but I think that, that celebration of masculinity, that celebration of rugged individualism, that, that celebration of nonconformity is it, still in all of us. The government has just made it real hard to stay there. 
and real rewarding to kind of forsake some of those natural inclinations we as men have on behalf of more money in the bank, uh, less controversy in your life. Um, yeah, I'm beholden to them. And yeah, I gave in on my values here and there. And um, it's just, you know, I, I've used the analogy. If you roll over enough, you'll either be president of the bank or chairman of the chamber. But with all due respect to presidents of banks and chairmen, but the, you know, Carl Icahn is not invited on every board because Carl Icahn had sold his soul. And I think a lot of men have come real close, closer than they'll ever admit to selling their soul. This, this one road takes them to a lot of entanglement and controversy and conflict with government. And the other is kind of like, wow, this is real easy. I'm not doing what I believe in, and I'm not really who I say I am, but I got two cars in the garage. The bills are paid. Government's kind of my friend and not my enemy. And I think government has become unbelievably punitive in nature to those of us who choose the hard road. Let's go to the phone. DW in Florence. Morning. Hey, guys. What's happening? Hey, DW. Hey, man. You know, you, you talk about sitting in a, in a place. I got two different points to make, and I'll try to make them quick. <clears throat> sitting in a place and having somebody abuse somebody, and you stand up for them. Um, you know, I, I was taught that. Uh, you didn't let somebody just bully over somebody and push, and you, you stood up to them. In today's world, you talk about the criminals, they got guns on them. And all those guys who are law-abiding carry guns with us. And if we say anything about that, people say, oh, you're trying to be a cowboy. You're trying to be a you know, masculine, tough guy. And, you know, you're carrying a gun. Well, I carry a gun for protection, not to walk around like I got a gun, like I'm a bad guy or I'm tough. That's, for these days, you're almost crazy not to carry something. But they want to punish me for being law-abiding and not punish the guy who, who's a thug and punk and criminal for what he wants to do. And that's what really frustrates me because I can't get up. I don't. I'm. You know me. I'm like you. It ain't gonna slide by me if something's going on like that. Somebody's got to say something. If it takes whatever it takes to get there, uh, I'm just not somebody to be abused for it. But it's it's pushed too far and uh, it's gone way off. And the other point I want to say is this: is uh, I, I can't watch Yellowstone as much as I do like the Cowboys and everything else. I watched it twice, and I think they're teaching young men and whoever else that they use language like they use. I mean, they use the F word every other breath. A grown, smart man, if he's not smart enough and have enough vocabulary to use something other foul language, every other breath, he just kind of throws it off me. I, I appreciate it. I, lo- I like the show the two times I watched it, but I couldn't stand the language. So I quit watching. I, I couldn't do it. So if I got to talk like that, and I'm, no, I'm not a choir boy by any means, but, uh, you know, gee whiz, man. Cut it, cut it loose and be a grown man and speak like you're supposed to. If we all act like men and do what we're supposed to, like God put us here to be, then things will change. But, you know, it's, it's too easy to acquiesce to whatever else the world tells us to do instead of stand up and be held accountable for what we believe in. So that's my word. Uh, go Tigers. Freehold. Take care, brother. We'll see you soon. Thank you, D.W. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. Got another caller. Hang on. We got to take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Please understand that the theories you hear on this radio have been endorsed by nobody. 
absolutely nobody. They're <laughs> theoretical, hypothetical opinions that I have about certain things, and we throw them out there, understanding that people have other opinions. Do you feel like uh, you have to say that every so well, often? I mean, I mean, sometimes I had a text a second ago. Uh, I disagree with you. Of course, a lot of people disagree with me. That's why we do this. Let's go to the phone. Larry in the PD. Hey, Larry. Good morning. Happy Friday, guys. Hey, Larry. Um, So, you covered a lot of ground in the last few minutes, but I want to start by saying that Beth is the most masculine character on Yellowstone, at least by far. <laughs> <laughs> you can say what you want. She's tough as nails. Um. But what I was going to say about that is what you were talking about, about choosing the two roads. I think one of them, one of them leads to a lack of self-respect. And that is part of the problem is that when, you're, when you live your life with no self-respect, uh, you're demoralized. And the things that they've done in our country, whether it was on purpose or not, have demoralized a generation of young men. It certainly has. And some of these violent people that we're talking about, I believe, are almost uh, – I used to hear this phrase, you know, the tighter you grip your fist, the more that squeezes out between your fingers. And I just think that that's what that is. It's a, it's a reaction, you know, almost a, well, it is a violent reaction to you can't be what you want to be. And so what do you do? You double down on it. And you show them, I sure will. I'm going to go get a gun. I'm going to join a gang. I'm going to show you, that, you know, I'm going to be a man. Uh, they just don't know what that means. So you just get this reaction to it. But you asked another question, which was, do I have a right to know? Well, uh, about a violent person in the, in the diner with me. The answer is no, you don't. But the reason that the answer is no is because we used to have a social contract with our government that said, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that alone, but you guys have to promise us that you're going to take care of these criminals, that you're going to get them off our streets, that our society is going to, you know, the people that are walking around freely are going to be good, honest, decent, law-abiding people. And when you're not, we're going to take you out of society. And we're not bringing you back until you're no longer a threat. But when you take an 18-year-old boy and you put him in jail for two and a half years, that's not long enough to sever him from his friends. It's not long enough to sever him from his, his mentality. And then you put him back out on the street, you've done nothing. All you've done is built up a bunch of rage, and now he's back out to release it. They've The government has let down their end of that deal. So now we feel like we are entitled to know. But the truth is we're not. It's just that we feel like we are because the government isn't holding up their end of the deal, which is ensuring me a tranquil society by removing those people. And, and we've always used this idea of, well, you can tell how civilized a country is by how many people it has in jail. That's stupid. Uh, what, the more people you put in jail, the less civilized your, your, your community is? No. The more people you put in jail, the more civilized your community is. Your jails aren't very civilized. And then the last point I want to make, Breeze was talking about masculinity, and, and I don't know what room you could stick Breeze in where he would feel like there were masculine people in there by comparison. <laughs> so, I don't know if we can take his word for who's masculine who's yeah. not, because he's up there at the top of the pyramid, man. No question. Thank you, Larry. You appreciate that. See, Larry nailed it there. The, 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 the Senate's leniency realities have breached the social contract that the government had with the American people to basically make sure I don't get in a diner with someone that, that has been, you know, convicted of a violent crime and, if, and not have the time or ability or rehabilitation necessary to make sure they don't do it again. That, that's exactly right. There is a social contract that we've abided by, and there was some faith and trust we had in our governmental systems, our judiciary, 
to, to basically say, for this crime, you are punished X. And you've done your time, and you've repented, and you've redeemed yourself, and you've been rehabilitated. And when you sit in that diner with Larry and his wife or Ken and his wife, you're not a threat to that person. But along comes activism, and along comes sentence leniency, um, disguised as you know um, inclusion and diversity and equality and all these other sorts of things. And now there's a pretty good likelihood that you are going to encounter a situation such as that. And you know who really pays the price? the waitress getting abused because nobody opens their mouth for fear that that guy may not have been someone who wrote a bad check or cheated on his wife, but he rather may be someone who pointed a gun and tried to kill some other human being. That That's that's the deal. We've had a social contract. We trusted the government to some degree to carry their weight. Now we don't believe they are, and we think they violated that social contract by sentence leniency and cashless bond and bail and all these other these other sorts of things that do allow violent offenders back on the street. That's not an affront to innocent until proven guilty. I mean, we're talking about the um, you know your price to society. What is the just price you have to pay for said actions? Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Take a break. Back in just a few. 843-661-0937. We've set this time aside. I want to tell you how important these guys are. You ready? We actually had a newly elected congressman try to schedule a time for 8 o'clock Friday mornings to come on, and he coined the phrase Friday, F-R-Y-D-A-Y. I said, dude, do you not know who comes on this show <laughs> at 8 o'clock on Friday mornings? I mean, that, that's non-negotiable. You, you can knock anybody off this show, but you can't knock um, the three amigos off. Now, we're two. We're one short today. Rick and Biden here. Is he coming? Do you know guys know? Or you, you know, know, normally he tells us we have a group text going, yeah. and he normally lets us know. I can only assume he's um, he's a little scared because of the football pick situation. Could be. So, Could be. Um, or maybe he's you know out rounding up a, a gift for me. So are you uh, clearly the champion? Oh, it's I mean, clear. You, it's been clear. Okay. It's been clear. And, and Philip was kind of a um, – Philip was killing things <laughs> as we were picking football games, right, Lou? So you were kind of a non-participant in some of those, um, some of those weekends. There were a lot of ducks that did not have a permit across the border. Okay, I was rounding them up. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, we, we don't want any uh, undocumented ducks That's right. coming into uh, into America. Hey, before we get to uh, business at hand, and we'll talk a lot about, I think Jim's already called, so y'all in the clear on, uh, on Jim's morning. <laughs> One time he was, today. Yeah, right. he was babysitting and taking care of business, but he did mention the legislature and some of the, um, some of the Sentencing Reform Act. Uh, I want to make an announcement, and Rev, help me here now, because you'll do better at this than I I don't am. know about that. Rev and I have pondered uh, the idea of a podcast for about a year. And I think yeah, I'm right when I say time. about a year. Yep. Um, we, we've always believed that there will be a place for radio. I mean, I, I, I don't buy that radio's going away. I don't buy that at all. But but we've also accepted that there are a lot of other competitive forces. Um, it's digital. It's, you know, I'd say I look print. at them like new opportunities. Well, I mean, there, there you go. Uh, a lot that? of, you, you want me to say, do it better than that? You yeah. ready? Yeah. Vertically integrated media hey. empire. Whoa. Vertically integrated Vert- media nice. empire is what we're after here. And, um, and I'm just glad we don't own newspapers. <laughs> I think radio <laughs> stations will always have a place in society, but, but podcasting seems to be a place where a lot of folks who do things similar to what we do have gravitated toward. In this um, in this multi-layering of um of media, and uh, and we're announcing this morning that beginning in a couple of weeks, we don't know the exact date because we still got um some ideas we're proposing one to another. Ownership is on board. Um, I'll disclose as much of this as I can. I had an opinion. They had an opinion. 
I didn't get everything I wanted in my opinion. They didn't get everything they wanted in their opinion. Uh, we made a deal, and together we're um, we're going to have our uh, uh, at least two days a week, probably closer to three, as we get our feet under us, an hour long, a little deeper dive on whatever issue it is. We may have uh, one of these three guys with us on a uh, on a show for an hour. Uh, we may, we may kind of get low to come in for an hour and really dive into the budget and exactly how it works, judiciary hearings. We may get our representative Jordan to come in. And, um, you know, we may have Shane Beamer one weekend. We may have, you know, um, Dick Hart-Pootley in the next weekend and may have, I mean, Steve Spurrier. I mean, it's going to be, as much as we say this show's about everything, the podcast will be will be similar to that. You've heard me say, um, I'm a college dropout from a town with no stoplight. Take what I say for what it's worth. And um, the name of the podcast will be No Stoplights with Kennard. Uh, that implies progression, forward motion, forward movement. But um, but we, we'd love you to be a part of it. Rev is um is a partner in this ordeal. There are three of us. It is um, yours truly, the Royal Rev, and our owners at Community Broadcasters, uh, Bruce Mittman and Jim Levin. We sat down. We agreed on uh, the best strategy to move forward. And, uh, and the only reason we're able to do this is you guys have solidified us as having somewhat of a market for our voice in the community. Um, I, I joke around and say our signal ends in Conway and Bishopville. The internet knows no bounds, so maybe people in Zimbabwe will be um, watching and listening to no stoplights with Kennard. But um, mm-hmm. but you got anything to add? I mean, am I giving a proper and accurate accounting of what we decided? Uh, you you absolutely did it very well but the, i guess the behind the scenes here is when we say podcast there's a lot of ways to deliver distribute and receive a podcast so part of what we've been working on behind the scenes is we've outfitted the radio what studio. about you've been working on well no we've all been involved in this yeah, we've, i we've sat out- in my chair and you focus the camera that's all i've done <laughs> we, we've outfitted the radio studio with video services so we have actually it's a three camera setup we have studio lighting so it looks different in here uh, we're actually recording a bit of this segment right now uh, to be able to test our systems to see how it works. So that's why the lights are on, and and uh, Philip and Jay walked in and said, what's, what's up with this? And we have <laughs> images up on the screen. So so the point is is that we will, when, when you uh, do the podcast and we start distribution, it'll be distributed amongst all of your typical podcast platforms uh, from uh, Spotify and iTunes and iHeart and all that stuff. And also, it'll be video distribution is the plan, YouTube, so you can subscribe, you can see video versions, you can listen to the audio versions. We'll put it out there everywhere if we have folks that are interested. And of course, we'll tell you how you can subscribe and and be a regular listener and participant, if you will. Rev Rev told me a story a couple of three years ago about Google money. (laughs) <laughs> and I didn't understand it. Now I understand it now. And I want some of that Google no, money. Because that Google money is like compounding <laughs> interest. You know what I mean? It really, there's a guy that does a podcast. And I read an article. Philip and Jay, you could jump in here. I read an article. He said he got a check one week for $13. And then he got a check the next week for $274. And then he got a check the next week for like $800. And then, you know, a month later, he's getting a check for like $26,000, you know, every month. But he had, he had found a niche. I mean, he had had a, a million subscribers or some stupid number uh, like that. And then you get um, you, you kind of get on the radar of some of these national broadcasters or national advertisers. Black Rifle Coffee does a lot of yeah. advertising in conservative circles. And uh, and you know you've arrived if you garner an audience large enough that they start doing that. Now, once again, I, you know, I don't, I don't know where we end up. I don't have any idea where we end up. 
but but I told Rev a year or so ago that we need to start thinking about it. I can't do it without him. I don't think he can do it without me. Uh, but but <laughs> no. Rev will be the guy behind the scenes doing all the technical expert. He'll play less of a role in the hour-long broadcast on air. I mean, he'll be in another room doing the broadcast, the downloading, the editing, the platforming, all those things that I know absolutely um, nothing about. But be, it'll be an extension of our radio show. I mean, it'll be similar in nature to our radio show. But as I said, I may have Representative Lowe for an hour, and we really dive into how complicated the budget can get and, and some of the nuances of that. We may, um, I mean, I told a friend of mine yesterday, the you know, I know I've made it if I could get Shane and Dabo on the podcast at the same time. You know what I mean? Have one be. sitting here and one sitting there. Um, Robert Cahaley's agreed to come on. We're in communication with Lindsey Graham's office. I think an interesting political figure, still Governor Mark Sanford, you know, that there, there's some human tragedy in that, but there's some idealism in that. So, so anyway, yeah, beginning in about two, two and a half, three weeks, you'll have an opportunity to, um, to visit our, is it a website? I mean, how do we do this? I mean, you, you, you know, better than I. So there will be a website. We'll have domain names Absolutely. and all this kind yeah, of all that, all that nonsense and all the distribution. So what, what you do is once it's up on the platforms, people can search the name of the podcast and subscribe to it. Uh, whether it's again, one whatever, wherever you listen to your podcast at Spotify or, or whatever platform there or YouTube, you subscribe to the channel, then you get notifications and downloads when there's a new episode. And Philip and Jay will negotiate your contracts immediately following this hour. I, Fair enough. I was going to say, you know, very excited for you guys looking forward to it. But at the same time, I think you need to recognize that the three amigos, as you refer to us, we participated in the ascension of greatness here. Uh, I'm not saying it was all because of us. It was certainly, a lot. It was certainly lot. wouldn't say it was it's all because of us. But, but, but no, in, in all seriousness, I've already addressed with, with management and, and ownership. You know, we got these, these, these guys on salary and they get paid a lot of money to be professional pundits and we need to make sure we <laughs> must be getting my check. <laughs> but, but, well, you know, I, I guess I got to back up now. This is like the wild west. You get to say what you want, do what you want. No, you FCC or whatever doesn't control the line. But why don't we consider That's just not maybe today. Yeah, yeah, right now we're another live on radio now. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. Why, why don't we call this the BBB, the bad language, the bad bourbon, and the bad boys? Okay, fair <laughs> enough. We'll, we'll do that. That, that. That's good enough with me. Um, but but anyway, and, and I want to thank you. I mean, the reason we did it this morning is because you guys have been a part of, uh, of our efforts. And, and yeah, I think us engaging our audience in a first-person way, it's a lot different for you guys to say what's going on in Columbia than me to say, I think this is what's going on. I mean, I talk to you guys a lot, and we, we communicate, but but I still think it, it's important to our listeners, your voters, to hear in the first person what you guys are doing. And, uh, you know, the, the podcast will be an extension of our efforts here. Um, we're always trying to make ourselves better, and um, and you guys have helped us make our ourselves better. So let's get the business at hand. Uh, we got the announcement out of the way. Yes, and, and we got you've clearance been teasing from ownership. It, you've been teasing it for weeks. Well, I mean, we, so we, had a mic, we had a mic screw up yesterday, and the reason it screwed up, we had equipment. And we got lights and cameras. I mean, Philip yeah. and Jay are in here. They can see what we've got. But uh, yeah, in, in a um, somewhere around the middle of February, you can subscribe. We're encouraging our listeners to subscribe. And at least two days, probably three days, we're going to do an hour-long podcast about whatever we consider to be timely and um, and and interesting, entertaining. I mean, we're in the entertainment business. If you want to be informed or enlightened, you know, take a college course at Harvard or something online. Uh, Jay, Philip. Let, let's get up to speed on what's going on in Columbia. I, I'll start with you, Philip, if you don't mind. You know the ways and means. I got to believe you guys are still hashing out the budget. Is that fair to say? Yeah, we're right in the middle of it. And, and I've kind of ended most of mine. I've got law enforcement, criminal justice type things. And 
and we're pretty well wrapped up um had a lot of good input some good raises for law enforcement are coming and and support for for the court system and and everything that that goes along with it you know but one thing it's kind of weird you don't think about it but but if you don't fund indigent defense that court just breaks down and the bad guys get off i'm telling you if if it's three years before the bad guy has his uh his, his case heard and and the trial comes around that witnesses have disappeared i mean law enforcement people have quit so we we've got you hate to fund indigent defense right i mean we all sit here and say don't do that but i'm telling you a quick and speedy trial is best for for justice and it takes resources jay kind of elaborate on that as a lawyer if you don't mind no so pr- from a practical standpoint i think that leads you straight to a problem that we we continue to see and that's the bond issue if you, you can track a lot of the issues a lot of the tragedies that we see with the justice system back to bond issues um and so if you the longer you hold someone the more likely a judge is going to say you know you've had x amount of time year two three years in some cases to get this case up before for a jury and try this case uh and so we're going to give this individual a bond going back to that concept of innocent until proven guilty so i agree with with philip a a speedy trial you're you're entitled to a speedy trial the government just can't hold you forever um it's better for everybody as as philip also said the witnesses law enforcement still there a lot of a lot of times law enforcement retires or moves on to another job so the quicker you can get that case ready and get before trial and get to a trial is, is better for everyone what was the motivator for governor mcmaster to say something publicly about judicial reform is it the supreme court decision and abortion i mean you know the governor's going to play politics because that's what governors do i mean you guys have to do that to some degree but what sort of um what sort of uh what sort of feedback or or or, or, or a lashback have we had as a result of the recent decision i think the governor's reaction was a kind of a, a a summary of a lot of different things coming together at the same time supreme court their decision he addressed that in state of the state obviously he like a lot of us that, that have expressed it are disappointed and disagree with the uh with the opinion the majority opinion that was part of it i think the governor's also recognized i know he has because we've talked about it and we're working on bills to deal with bond reform that's an issue that we deal with locally we deal with statewide we're dealing with nationally that's a problem that he's he's very concerned about this revolving door where folks are getting out and committing additional crimes while out on bond uh, so all those things sort of coming together at the same time have created this you know mandate to to take action philip as a non-lawyer um there are a lot of you non-lawyer there are a lot of lawyers up there are a lot of you non-lawyers up there um is there a sense of urgency to address the uh, you can't overturn the decision but but you can re-legislate am i right and and put something back in the court for them to deal with yeah we're in that process now you have to go to the governor's speech and realize it's in the house all the senators are crowded in but on the very back row you've got the supreme court and the appeals court judges sitting there so when Henry said that, you know, we all stood up and gave a clap because it was judicial overreach in our opinion. We already said what what we feel like uh, our contingency, all of our voters wanted, and we sent it. And someone, of course, appeals that, sends it to the Supreme Court, and and they surprised us with the ruling. And we've been dealing with that ever since. Right now, we're electing another, and we didn't play around. The entire Republican caucus in the House just stood up, talked about the people until we had decided which one we wanted. 
And everybody left there with a mission to, to go elect the best conservative judge that we had in the race. Jay, you raised your hand. I was just going to add to, you know, specifically on the pro-life issue, um, going back to that briefly, we're, we're on track on that. I held a subcommittee hearing um, yesterday. Uh, the House uh, Judicial uh, Subcommittee I serve on constitutional laws, we passed out a new pro-life bill, um, three to zero. The Dem- we didn't have the Democrats. They, uh, the two Democrats serving on the committee were unavailable for the for the hearing, uh, but we passed that out, so it'll go before the full judiciary. So we're on track. We're going to put the issue back in the hands um, of the court again. Um, it, it, you know, South Carolina has a long history of being a pro-life state, and because of this decision, we've fallen behind what I consider the, the pro-life the, the uh, pro-life states around us. So we're going to get back on this issue and put it back in their hands. And also, again, as, as has been discussed many times and again here this morning, we're on the, we, we are going to pick a new um, justice to the Supreme Court. And so I believe that's going to give us an opportunity to put the issue back in sort of a, a fresh court's eyes, so to speak. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. I don't like government. The majority of my listeners don't like government, but these two guys have a responsibility to govern in some way. <laughs> shape or form we hope they do it as conservative as possible i want to i want to go through three things real quick and get both of your takes on this um the number of people dying of fentanyl in america is staggering are we doing anything jay first off you're absolutely correct it, it, it is a horrendous issue um and the answer the short answer is yes uh, the house has been holding hearings on what to do about fentanyl the judiciary committee passed out a fentanyl bill Tuesday, it should be on the House floor next week. It creates significant penalties um, associated with fentanyl. the The hard part with fentanyl is it's such a potent drug, uh, and it can kill so quickly. Um, and you're dealing with you're, the people you're after are the dealers, the people that are putting this in the street. A lot of the people that are buying drugs, and I'm not getting into the the addictions associated with that. That's we all know that's out there. Um, but a lot of times they don't even know they're getting fentanyl. So we're, we're trying to wrestle with this whole concept of possession. Um, you know, someone thinks they're buying a certain drug, which again, that that's not right either. Not saying that is, but then it contains undetectable to them fentanyl. And now they're in possession of this drug. And then if they get caught in this, with this drug, they thought they had one thing. They have the, they have this as well. And now they're on the hook for a very significant penalty. So we're wrestling with that concept, but yes, we're we're, we're attempting to to put a put uh, to deal with the issue as best we can. Philip, is part of the fight on fentanyl buttressing law enforcement, helping law enforcement, assisting law enforcement in the um in the confrontation of um of, of illegal fentanyl making its way into South Carolina? You know, fentanyl doses are measured in grains, not grams, and so it's such a tiny amount. They're having a hard time finding it and detecting it. They It can be snuck in so easily. And you know, what we really haven't even assessed is what will terrorists do with that drug in their hand one day? I mean, they could go to a buffet and sprinkle that pixie dust across the top of it and people fall out. I mean, you pour it in a, in a large water line for the city. I mean, I, I don't know. That's That is such a powerful drug that we've got to – fight back with all we have to try to find it but i mean i don't know if it's as easily detectable marijuana's got a pretty strong odor i don't it's scary yeah i mean it's what it is it's it scares me to death um let's shift gears and go philip i'll start with you on this um some states argue that they're not teaching crt um 
Ellen Weaver has came on this show, and I think as probably discussed with you guys, her support of school reform. Are, are there things we're doing in public education that should make conservatives feel more positive about where we're headed? Well, I think we have uh, somebody in the House now who is chairing the Education Committee who will, will probably get a bell out to us quickly. I, I don't think they need another hundred hours of testimony to talk about it. it it's a difficult thing to describe but you know it when you see it uh, what we we can legislate all we want to from from you know, south carolina state house but you know at some point it, it revolves around teachers they can slide it into their own classroom just how how they make you talk pronouns of somebody and 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 the methods at which they teach so it it's pervasive in culture because the left wants it there. School choice. Are we making advances there? We are. We're, I don't think it's going to be the wholesale splash where it's all just wide open, but th- there'll be a bill. We passed a bill last year in the House, didn't make it through the Senate, and we'll pass another one this year. Uh, exactly what it'll be, I don't know. The Senate is tiptoeing around it. I think they're on the third or fourth week now. Uh, still arguing about it, and, and who knows what they'll do with it. But uh, that's that's part of what we have to do. We've we get bills. I call them boomerangs. You know, we throw them out. We send them to the Senate, and they don't do anything. And then we turn back around, and it's back in our lap. And we've introduced it again two years later, and it's just back and forth. Um, Jay, CRT and school choice are not the same thing, but they were t- pertain to public education kind of um, from your perspective where are we well i think we're in a very interesting place um we were talking about this offline just a second ago for a minute you know we're in that unique place in the calendar where whereas the house runs every two years the senate runs every four years they're up for election next time around so this is you know they're, they're in a position whereas we've sent them a lot of things over the last term crt uh some a school choice bill things like that and the senate couldn't get couldn't get those uh issues across the finish line now, all of a sudden, they tend to be able to get things across the finish line when there is an election looming. So uh, I think we're in that, that sort of frame where you, you'll you see some things get accomplished, potentially. Because of the election pressures. Correct. Uh, on CRT and school school choice or school reform back to that boomerang issue we've we've sent those issues but i think they'll 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 be hard pressed to not to to go home and face their voters and say why didn't you because look crt that's something a lot of listeners are probably saying well i haven't seen that but that doesn't mean we'd be we'd be really naive to say that's not happening in some places in south carolina so I'd hate to be to go home and face my voters if I was them and say I didn't do anything to get a bill across. Good deal. I want to get to bond reform in just a couple of seconds. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Brent in Florence, you are on with your delegation. Hey, guys. had a question about um, school choice. I would just pass the school choice bill. What do you think – what happens there? Is there any fallout to private schools? I mean, public education in the college world – if you start getting government funding or money poured in, the price gets it jacked up. You see, if that happens, South Carolina, the price for private school goes up. Um, does the state require teachers to be certified in those private schools? Do private schools who have mandates or creeds that say your family has to be believers to join that school? Does those things go to the wayside? I mean, what happens to private education if we can take our kids, all kids, into a private school? And that, I mean, y'all thought about fallout on those type of things. Thank you, and I'll take it off air. Okay. So good good question. A lot, of, a lot of interesting points contained in there. I'd say a few things about that. Number one, I think you'll see not all private schools will participate in the program if we ever get it across the finish line. Uh, I think many will say, 
you know, there's a reason why, you know, we've set ourselves up this way. We don't want any kind of government assistance or interference in what we do. Um, and, and, you know, that's their right and decision to say we don't want to, to be a part of that. Um, I think probably the prudent thing to do is, is what the House did last time. We'll pass a bill. Will it be a huge school choice bill? No, but it'll be an opportunity for us to see, number one, is there an appetite for it out there? You know, the state can create this school choice option, uh, and if no one participates in it, if there's not an appetite to participate in it, we haven't accomplished anything. So by sort of uh, walking into the pool and not doing a cannonball in the deep end, I think we've got a better chance to see who all wants to participate. And number two, the most and most importantly and effectively, we sit here and we say, we believe in competition and therefore choice, and that's going to lead to a, a brighter future for all of South Carolina education-wise. But we have to see how it practically pays out, plays out, and that'll take a little bit of time. So by, you know, again, walking into the pool and establishing these options and giving opportunities for people, for parents to, to participate in this process, we'll get to see what works, what doesn't work, and be able to tweak the processing as we go forward. Philip. At its surface, let me let me make the argument. I don't hear your take on this. So if I take tax dollars and issue a voucher, and that voucher goes to that kid, and that kid's backpack, I mean, you've heard this, money follows the backpack, money follows the kid. Are we, in essence, forcing private schools to be influenced more by public policy? Is that kind of the nature of the debate? And I, I, I this I is philosophical, but but you, I mean, Jay's talking about nuances. I get that. That's policy. That's legislation. But but philosophically, if we take taxpayer dollars that were previously allocated for public education and they go all of a sudden funding private schools, aren't you opening the door for more government intervention? Well, the way you close that door, as you say, it's the choice of the parent, and it doesn't. The check doesn't necessarily go then from the states to the school with the strings attached, the check flows through the parents. It may flow through your tax return. It may throw, flow through credits or something so that if, if you can get that money to go to, to the backpack and then to the school, you don't have strings. You've severed that direct line between the government and, and the school. Okay, Jay, i got to ask you this. Somebody's going to challenge that. I mean, somebody will. I mean, there, there will be a lawsuit that that follows that. I mean, if you guys pass a school choice bill that allows what Philip just said to happen, some leftist lawyer is going to take you on. You know, I, I was in a room one day years ago, and somebody said, "Who's going to get sued?" And I said, "Everybody's going to get sued." You know, there's, <laughs> it's just the world we live in. There's going to be, uh, there it will absolutely be will be challenged. Um, again, that goes back to what we've talked about many times here and earlier today. It's important for us to establish a conservative court. That's a moving target at times. I, I've said on here before, you know, you can go back to Ronald Reagan, and I'm sure presidents before him on the federal side uh, and, and presidents since him that have said, I thought I was getting so-and-so in, in judges, and I got such-and-such. So, you know, it becomes important for us to continue the process of doing the best we can of finding good conservative judges who, who don't, you know, reinvent the law but, but simply interpret what we send them. Let's, let's stay in the, uh, in, the, in the legislative lane. Is there going to be an attempt— by members of the General Assembly to address the issues of bonds. In other words, the bonds are too low. They're letting people out that deserve to have stricter bonds or higher bonds. Uh, you're a lawyer. You're in that judicial system. Help us understand, are we making progress? What can the public expect? Well, we're definitely. it's definitely an issue. As we talked about earlier, the governor addressed it. Um, it's, it's, it's an issue we've seen here in Florence. Uh, there was a tragedy just recently down in Georgetown, same type issue. 
it's 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 not just here though it's a statewide and it's a national issue to some degree um my big point is i I keep saying we need to enforce the laws we have on the books um you know the biggest single problem i see uh that keeps revealing itself is someone gets arrested for a serious crime they get out on bond and then they commit another serious crime Uh, i think the law is pretty clear that you're entitled to a bond you're innocent till proven guilty unless you're a danger to the community and or you're a flight risk uh, that, that's pretty clear state law. So in my opinion, when you come back, you've been arrested, you get a bond, you're innocent until proven guilty. But when you come back on that second time, I think you've demonstrated you're a danger to the community by that point. You were arrested, charged, you went, you got out and you got rearrested. Therefore, you're a danger to the community and there's not much good reason to let you out again most times. Now, obviously, that's a very broad brush uh, and there are certain, you know, we make policy, we make laws for the masses, but there are individual circumstances that judges have to deal with and tackle. And, you know, we can't, you know, speak to every single potential issue. But there, there's a certain reality with let's enforce the laws we have already clearly established. Philip, you're not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. On some of these issues, you listen intensely to what lawyers do have to say. How do you hash out the issue of bond reform as a non-lawyer? You know, I think it starts out with who the chief justice is, too, because he basically leaned on the magistrates to, to let people get out you know, and and get back on the streets. And I, I mean, I hate, I hate to throw him under the bus like that, but sometimes it begins at the top. Um, and I talked with the magistrate. He wasn't around here. Um, and they talk about the problem the magistrate can – can post a bond on somebody and put a bond up and, and say uh, it could be a pretty big one. Well, they can appeal it and go to a circuit court. So they know the right circuit court to go to. They can get it a lot smaller or even personal recognizance and turn the people loose again. So there are some areas within our law we've got to make it tighter so that they don't have that range. Or listen, we all want to get out of jail if, if we – we're framed for a crime. I mean, I'm sure that does happen. Most of the time, they're just degrees of, of guilty, but they're not guilty until we've proven them. And I, but I want to get out of jail. But the know? General <laughs> Assembly sounds to me like, I don't know if it words in your mouth, but the General Assembly has accepted that there's an issue that needs to be addressed. Absolutely. Is, is that a fair analysis yeah. of we what we're talking bill, about? We? Yeah, we do have a bill. Um, we have a bond reform bill. Um, the governor referenced it and talked a little bit about it. It's in judiciary right now. I would expect it to be on the House floor in the next couple of weeks. Okay, let's take a let's take a call. Got somebody on the phone. Will in Marion, you're on with the delegation. Hey guys, uh, I wanted to ask if there's any uh, discussions happening this session with vaccine mandates and how they apply to people in South Carolina. I have a daughter who's uh, in nursing school unvaccinated she's applied for religious exemption but we're not sure that she's going to get it and don't know how that's going to impact her Um, i'm kind of beginning to feel like there's so few of us now who are not vaccinated that it's not on anybody's radar and people are kind of forgetting about it well i don't know i'd say if uh if a tv is on a camera's on somebody the democrats are still put a mask on their face so if you go out and eat with them, they're right there sitting there just like you are. You know, I, I don't think it, it's been an issue. I don't think vaccination uh, is a state issue, uh, and I don't think the federal government has the ability to impose that on us. Are there any vaccine mandates in South Carolina today? Are there any mask mandates being enforced in South Carolina today? I mean, I don't, I don't think there is. 
I'm not aware of, uh, of any of the last, um, I saw, I had to go to the, uh, the federal building. Not I'm in there a good little bit. And, uh, I think they were the last ones I saw that were still requiring, but even then it's, I believe it's become optional even in the federal building. So, um, to my knowledge, I don't believe I, I haven't personally experienced sure, sure. any of late. Okay. Fair enough. We'll take a break. We'll be back. In just a few moments. Got about five minutes left with our two members of our delegation, Miss Mike Rick and Bob this morning, but Philip Lowe and Jay Jordan are his are here with us. Um, let's shift gears and leave Columbia, go to California. The RNC will pick their chairwoman today, we believe. I don't think the my pillow guy. He's a um he's a sleeper candidate though. Um <laughs> Ah, I see what you drum did there. roll there. Oh, yeah, he's a he's a sleeper <laughs> candidate there. Um, but no, you got Ronald Mc, uh, Ronald McDaniel and Hermit Dillon competing for that um, prestigious honor of leading the RNC. You got Trump over there. You got DeSantis somewhere out there. You got Nikki Haley and Mike Pompeo and Mike Pence. The two of you are in Republican politics. You're elected officials. Um, kind of walk me through the landmine, Philip, that you see at the national level. Um, I mean, you got to be careful here because DeSantis is popular with some of your voters. Trump is popular with some of your voters. Nikki Haley is popular with some of your voters. But but what, what do you see out there as we head into the 2024 presidential cycle? Well, first, I didn't realize anybody was left in California. I thought they'd all <laughs> left the place. But, but since you brought it up, I think the you know if the early on favorite um, is probably DeSantis, but. If there's a lot of people in a crowded field, then Trump's got his real solid supportive base that would propel him into first place because you would, if DeSantis sitting in there, you'd divide that vote up between the non-Trumpers or anti-Trumpers. It would spread out. And so, I, I mean, I he's coming to town Saturday. Tomorrow. So, well, yeah. that's, that's another great day in South Carolina. Columbia, yeah. Yeah. Jay, what do you make of it? You know, uh, it's going to be an interesting process, but it's a good process. Um, you're going to see a quality, spirited debate from some solid uh, candidates. You know, no one, I don't think, in, 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 the, in the world we live in, so to speak, can argue that um, the policies of, of President Trump, they were good for the, good for the United States. Um, DeSantis has done an excellent job in Florida. And there are other candidates, I'm sure, that will, will get involved in the race. So this is our opportunity, to, and it's going to come to South Carolina. That's the good news. We're, we're the first— Republican or a third Republican stop, I believe, in the presidential process. So we'll get to see these candidates, get to get get uh, up close with them, get to uh, hear them, see them, answer our questions, and let the process do what it will. And and Philip, even those not named Donald Trump, let's say Nikki Haley and, and uh, Ron DeSantis, they're going to run on policies similar to Trump. I mean, it's going to be an America First agenda. It may not not be with the same personality that Trump does it. But isn't that kind of the debate we're having? We're not debating philosophically the difference in legislative. We're dating, uh, kind of debating a personality. DeSantis says the same thing that Trump says, but he says it less offensively. Uh, Nikki Haley says some of the same things. I mean, Jay's not as a, isn't that kind of where we are struggling to understand how to deal with a personality that is Donald Trump? Uh, he's been incredible. He's done things as president and on the campaign trail that, He'd shake your head and say, I don't know how he got by with that one. You know, and he'd be right back. He'd double down on it and come back. So people are looking for a fighter and a spirited person like him. Uh, people just, I mean, they came from all over and, and just flooded the places that he came on the campaign trail. And, Jay, he turned Republicans. He turned people into Republicans that didn't know or didn't expect to ever be Republicans. Uh, that's exactly right. Um, there are two 
issues or two questions I really look forward to seeing. Number one is when they all get, you know, on the debate stage and, and, and out in campaign mode, how will the other candidates uh, deal with when they get an issue uh, that President Trump has been successful on previously? How will they deal with saying, you know, now he's their opponent in a sense and say, you know, how do they say they're going to do it better without saying thank you for what he did, so to speak, back when? So that'll be from a, uh, a you know, a competition standpoint, interesting. The second thing is how they'll react when he punches them in the nose, <laughs> which is going to happen, by the way. I think that's clear and obvious. So those are the two things I'll be watching to see what candidates will sort of rise to in, in if they do rise to in competition with him. And Philip, it does complicate your world, but it's exciting to be that complicated, isn't it? I mean, you got to be careful here and careful there and, and careful over there. But I mean, Trump has brought in a degree of enthusiasm that I think at the end of the day is helpful for all of us. It is. We've just gotten to rally around the one we finally picked. You can't leave 10% out. I mean, if, if it ain't your pick, you got to come in. Trump wasn't my first pick the first go around. I don't know many people that said, oh, Trump, you're number 15, and you're my first pick. But there were some. I mean, Henry McMaster was one of them. In the end, we have to stick together as Republicans. Can we do that, Jay? I mean, you talk about the division. We, we, we're we going to have a contested election today in california for the rnc chair um can we is trump so divisive and so opinionated and so polarizing that what philip hopes happen is almost an impossibility well it won't be an easy thing it won't, and it won't be an immediate thing but yeah i believe we can do that I, I, and here's you know number one if you look at how bad the democrats are running the place that's the number one reason to get us in line and get us uh pointed in the right direction anybody but biden i exactly. think we all agree to that <laughs> yeah. anybody but biden abb hey thanks to the two of you um and once again we've got one hour left we've got to pay some sort of tribute to freehold as he heads off to the most extreme climate in all of the continental u.s take a break back in just a few Isn't that kind of the uh, the Miami Vice days? Isn't that what he yeah, wrote the song yeah. for? I yeah. mean, he's one of the um. It was um Don Johnson and a um. What was the other guy's name? I can't remember. Uh, Philip Michael. I think you're close. Thomas. Yeah, I think it? you're real yeah. close there. The cool dudes in yeah. Miami. Oh, yeah. That would have been before fentanyl, right? Yeah. That would have been the cocaine, cocaine days. Right. Yeah. A lot of the um. What were they called? The cocaine cowboys in Miami when um some of the um some of the uh, uh the, the Pablo Escobar and Colombian Median cartel uh, making its way into southern Florida, South Florida. And um, my, remember the guy, I mean, Don Johnson didn't shave like the the, the day, and they created a razor, Yep, the Miami device. <laughs> remember that? I, I don't mean, remember I mean, that. But it, it was a razor I that didn't the, shave you closely. Yeah. And it was called the Miami device. The stubble yeah, look. Yeah, the stubble whatever. look. Yep. There you go, the stubble that. look. And the, um, and the uh, 
the the disco look and leisure suits that they wore that everybody kind of wanted you know i was thinking about going out on friday nights and it would have been um in the in the early early days of going out it would have been dallas and you know you might have to wait until later to go out because the girl may have wanted to watch dallas and then when you on friday nights when miami vice became prime time viewing it was like going out later after miami vice now i'm from pamplico so when I went out, I went out after NWA wrestling went off. <laughs> you mean wrestling? Yeah, wrestling. You could have your um your your Miami Vice in Dallas. I was watching wrestling matches until I decided uh, to got that drove my mom crazy. Waiting to leave home at nine on a Friday night to go out. My mom was a proverbs lady. I grew up in a Baptist church. Raised me in a Baptist church. She thought nine o'clock was time to come home, mm-hmm. not the time of which you um went out to do whatever it is you chose to do one thing about those miami vice styles when you see them you know it oh there's no I mean, question some, about somebody it. wore a certain if, if they dressed up like that now it'd be the first thing you'd say miami vice you know if you wore the pastel color and the whatever the little jacket i mean but but the but the the the, the one day shadow became kind of the rage i mean it really yeah, did oh, it, you know it, it was and, a thing um, it was a thing no question about it and it was a um i mean obviously a lot of pop culture involved in that cars and boats and money and fame and fortune and drugs and fast living and glenn fry you know former league of the eagles deceased member of the eagles was um i mean i, I guess that's when the eagles were not together and uh because i asked rev i said okay rev we're de- we've declared 2023 the the eagles friday does that include henley and fry and uh, and joe walsh and their solo work and rev blessed it with his um oh, executive yeah. privileges so when we play Smuggler's Blues, we're playing it out of our respect to the Eagles. That's right. And the uh, and the late Glenn Fry. And some of the other members of the Eagles had some hits as well. Timothy so who B. had Schmidt. a more success? Uh, and somewhat of a hit. Yeah. Um, so who had a better solo career? Fry, Walsh, or Henley? Oh, oh. <laughs> who That's had the most? Well, I mean, the, it, I'd, I'd say I'd say probably Henley, Walsh, Fry. End end of the innocence and. Uh, Part of the matter, and yeah, I mean, I would agree to that. But nobody had a bigger hit than "Life's Been Good." Yeah, I mean, that became an iconic an anthem. rock anthem. I mean, no yeah. question about it. That's the word I was about to come up with. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Well, last hour uh, we let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, and we announced our big announcement. You've been teasing for at least a couple of weeks that the uh, the podcast is getting ready to go in production and distribution sometime in February. You guys Yet have to figure out when. Well, I mean, and, and you guys have been working in the studio for a couple of weeks. There are plugs everywhere, and and wires, and bright lights, and a television screen. And I mean, it really. Once again, I'll, I'll go back a year. A year ago, Rev and I talked a lot about you know the next phase of the show. I'm in business, guys, and I think if you're standing still, you're backing up. I mean, I've always felt that um, once you think you've got it licked, it's probably when you're in the most trouble. I mean, if you ever think that you've got it figured out. You better wake up a little earlier and stay up a little bit later. So so Rev and I share that in common. We're always looking for a way to be better, a way to be more effective, a way to be more uh, influential to some degree. So we started talking to ownership about a podcast. They were uh, they were supportive, but not as engaged as we needed it to be. So we started pressing the issue a little bit more because I'd read a lot about, you know, Bongino's radio show podcast. Um Tucker Carlson's television show, podcast, um, Bill O'Reilly's podcast. I mean, a lot of these guys that have done exceedingly well in this format have um, evolved and, and, and gravitated. They, they've never left radio, 
And we're not leaving radio. Have no interest oh, no. in leaving radio. <laughs> no. We we love radio, and I think radio is a um is probably as intimate as any form of communication other than uh, you know having dinner with one another that I can think of. But um but but Rev and I agreed that we don't want to put all of our eggs in one basket. So if we're going to uh, vertically integrate and become you know more diverse, podcast made the most the most sense. So we began sitting down with ownership. Um, once again, they were always supportive, just not as anxious as we were, but, but out of the past years come, uh, uh, an arrangement that Rev's comfortable with, I'm comfortable with, the owners are comfortable with, and, uh, and we began making investments in our studio. I was gonna say, and, uh, and honestly, our, you know, we, we had some big ideas and it does, it did involve an investment. Spending some money. That's right. Spending some money. So we, so what we've done is we've retrofitted, that's a word we've used the, the, the radio studio, which is a really nice talk radio studio. Uh, that the owners built for this show several years ago. And long-time listeners remember, we talked about it when we moved into the studio, and this is it's great and very effectively designed for what we do. But to take it to that next level and to, to go big, as we say, we had to retrofit this studio for, for basically television. So we have three TV video cameras mounted in the studio. We have television lights. We have switching abilities from the camera angles and editing abilities and again it's been a been a effort that we've undertaken over the last several months to get it together we're finally able to announce it now and that means distribution and production hopefully are just a few weeks away and it's interesting so, so the owners are not they're from the land of north aggression uh from where freehold's from so um we're having these extensive conversations about where do we go from here and the only point I made, and this is Southern as it can be, I said, I just don't want to half-ass it. <laughs> you know, I, I want to do it right. If we're going to do it, let's do it the right way. And they have been nothing but supportive in making sure we're doing it the right way. Rev has been kind of debating on how much to spend for this and how much to spend for that. And, and they've been very generous and supportive. And I think we pulled our weight here on uh, here on Wake Up Carolina that will eventually be a um, – it'll have a, a younger brother, and the brother will be called and, – and, and I go back to something I've said. Somebody asked me – I told one of my good friends about it this week, and uh, actually Jay Jordan. I mean, Jay, Jay and I talked a little bit this week, and he said, "What's the big announcement?" And I told him, and I said, "Um, you know, Jay, when I ran for office, and I knew I was challenged. I mean, I didn't have a resume. I mean, I honestly didn't. Um, I'm, I'm not a college graduate. I'm not a veteran. I don't chair a uh, you know a board at a private Christian school. I mean, that you know, I, I grew up in a family business. Uh, I went off to college for a little while, and and didn't take it seriously, and came back home." But, but everything I've learned in life is, is those events and experiences that have led me here. And, and I noticed when I ran for office, when I, when I said I'm a college dropout from a town with no stoplight, it was, I mean, obviously it was an attempt to disarm and it was an attempt to kind of um, demonstrate a little false humility. And, um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, pe people say, well, I mean, anything he says of any rhyme or reason is going to be kind of um, something we didn't expect. It'll be an overperformance. And, and there's a little beauty in uh, under-promising and over-performing. And I'm not saying I over-performed, but, but I, I noticed when I said that, there was some intrigue about, okay, what's he got to say? I mean, he's admitted he's a college dropout from a town with no stoplight. Most people running for office say, you know, when you read the resume, and you know this, Rep, people have asked my, my resume, mm -hmm. and I always answer, I ain't a resume kind of guy. <laughs> That's because there's nothing on my resume to be real proud of. Uh, you know, I didn't graduate with honors. I didn't. I didn't work at a Fortune 500 company. I don't sit on any boards. I don't sit on any committees. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not in charge. You, you see where I'm headed. But 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 I still believe 
that the, the viewing and listening audience will reward to the nth degree your willingness to be authentic. And if we've had any ingredient of success, it's because we say things that Rev thinks most of you think. You won't say it for fear of some sort of consequence. Um, I will. And I live, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not independently wealthy, but I ain't broke. And, and, I, and I, I made a commitment to myself when I got thrown out of politics that I wasn't going to be nervous about what somebody thought of anything I said. And I think we've garnered a, a degree of respect amongst our listeners because we will say things that, that others are more careful about saying. The podcast will be, ah. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the differences well, I mean, because it's, we, we, we've really I mean, consciously. We don't know. I mean, you, you and I have admitted we don't know where we're headed with this. We're, we're starting from zero, and it is a new challenge and an opportunity but one thing we didn't want to do is just do a rehash of the radio show and make it look and sound exactly like the radio show because you have a, a, a different freedoms with the, the format of a podcast obviously we have timing and, and breaks and things we have to do for the radio show and that's all part of it and uh, but but when you produce a podcast you have some different flexibilities and we're trying to exploit those the best we can plus give a different product that is an enhancement to the radio show so hopefully our listeners that enjoy this show uh, will be our first subscribers to the podcast and it will you, it'll give you a chance uh, and we talked about this last hour when we made the announcement uh, to do a little deeper dive into some subjects and have a, a guest in here that can really spend an hour and you can really you know, do a deep dive on an issue and maybe draw some some, some deeper discussion. Well, I mean, in some I'll give an example. I said yesterday, I'd love to have Lindsay in here for an hour. I mean, I, I want people to understand where Lindsay comes from, what, what makes Lindsay tick, and then we'll get to why you're such a hawk. Why, <laughs> why, why do you believe that America needs to be as involved in all these places that America doesn't? And I have no interest in the sound bite. I mean, I don't. I really don't. And I think the podcast will give us an opportunity. I mean, we'll have some guests and other days it will not be a guest. We will try to take, um, you know, the, the counterfeiting of money the Fed's doing and talk about it an hour and the history of the Fed. I just think there's an appetite out there for authenticity. And we're going to be authentic. We're going to be real. We have no idea where this leads. We didn't know if we could build an audience on radio. We have, thanks to you. And I am most appreciative to you for agreeing to allow us to be uh, a part of your morning for however long you choose. Uh, the podcast is different, and the difference is the signal doesn't stop at Gallivant's Ferry, and it doesn't stop in Bishopville. Now, when tropospheric ducting is to our advantage, really? we can get all the way into Conway <laughs> and, uh, and even down in Horry <laughs> County further than that. But, um, no, I mean, w you know, you have been a tremendous part of our success on the radio. There's no doubt about it. And the only way we build any modicum of, of success uh, as a podcaster is is for you to be our anchor tenants, so to speak, for you to be our uh, our first subscribers. Um, and, and we'll figure out a way to make it interactive. I don't know yet. Rev and I have been completely and totally honest with our owners and one another. We don't know what the future holds when it comes to No Stop Lights with Kennard. Um, but it's going to be called No Stop Lights because of that. That's kind of a tribute to where I come from and, and, and my hometown. But, but it also symbolizes we're moving ahead. We're having conversations. Nothing's going to get in our way. Nothing's going to slow us down. Nothing's going to stop us from having these conversations that most other people aren't interested in having. You asked me a second ago um, if I could pick my favorite guest, mm -hmm. you know, who would it be? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people that come to mind. I'd love to interview Dabo Sweeney. I'd love to interview Steve Spurrier. 
I'd love to interview Lindsey Graham, Robert Cahaley, Mark Sanford. I mean, there's a great compelling story to Mark Sanford. I mean, I can relate a little bit. You know, political career gone bad. Um, I'd love to interview uh, Bruce Springsteen, uh, <laughs> Darius Rucker. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of people out there, and, and we'll do the best we can. And once again, we've got to gain an audience. Why would a hot shot or a big shot come on a podcast that has, you know, a thousand views? I mean, there, there's, a, there's a reason when Joe Rogan called Elon Musk and said, will you appear on my podcast? And Musk says yes. I mean, there's a reason. You know what it is? It's called millions of views. It's called a huge audience and, 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 a, and a degree of notoriety. Where we end up, don't have any idea. Do we catch lightning in a bottle? I don't have any idea. But we're going to do the same thing in the podcast we did here, and that is our dead level best to keep it real and, uh, and engage an audience with some degree of intimacy and information and entertainment that we hope will, um, well, well, rings the cashier. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's go to the phone. That too. Here's Bobby in Hartsville. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, Ken, sometimes, some, some days I'm able to listen to all four hours of the show because of the kind of work I do. And uh, I'm telling you, at the end of four hours, I'm, I'm just exhausted. I can't imagine how you can talk as much as you do for four hours. But anyway, uh, I would I would still love to hear more. So, yeah, I think it's a good idea on the uh, podcast. I, I'd be interested in hearing um, things, you know, different than probably or, or maybe an extended uh, information than what you were able to cover on the radio or something like that would be interesting to me. Thank you, Bobby. You appreciate that. Guys, I'm telling you. <laughs> so what, he gets exhausted what, listening no, to you. No, and I, I want to say this. When I built truck beds for a living, I mean, I put on steel-toed boots every day, and I, it was physically demanding. I mean, a um, uh, a foot of 7-inch channel weighs 9.8 pounds. If you don't have a forklift available, you grab that 8-foot piece of 7-inch channel, you put it on your shoulder, and you walk in the building, and you put a, you know, I'm not talking about putting truck beds together. That was physically demanding. That was exhausting. I didn't go to the gym when I built truck beds. I didn't need to go to the gym when I built truck beds. Now, older, as I got older and my dad became more passive in the business, I took on managing responsibilities. But the majority of my life was building truck beds. That was physically exhausting. My wife made me put my clothes in a different hamper because she didn't want to wash her stuff with mine. I mean, it was rental uniforms. It was work uniforms. It was nasty and, and dirty and greasy. That's not what I do now. Um, a hard day of manual labor would probably kill me today. <laughs> it probably it probably would, but this is mentally exhausting. I mean, Rev knows this. There are some Monday mornings I walk in here, and I don't have anything that I want to talk about. I mean, I've not, you know, I watch the Gamecocks. I watch the Tigers. I watch whatever, what racing, and, and I had a good time, and I checked out of the world, and then that Sunday night, I start checking back in with CNN and and Fox and, you know, um, the Drudge Report and Zero Hedge and wherever you go to get your information. And I, and I come in here, you know, five o'clock on a Monday morning. And I'm like, damn, I don't want to talk for the next four hours about the world. But it's my job. And the only thing that inspires me on those days are you. Now, now there are some days that I can't wait to get here. I mean, I, 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 want, to, I want for six o'clock in the morning to get here because I got something on my mind and I'm about to, here I go, you ready? I'm about to bust a gut to get it out. And I, and I, and I have a, um, I mean, it's cathartic, therapeutic, and it's, it's good for me to, to, to be able to express myself as I see fit. But, but to Bobby's point, I mean, it's 20 hours a week. 
of talking about something. And um, and, and I, I think we've done a good job, and Rev's so good at this, of kind of steering us in a, uh, you know, we just had a five-minute conversation about Glenn Fry, Don Henley, or Joe Walsh, who mm-hmm. had the best. I think people are interested in that. And I think when we're talking politics and we're concerned about Ukraine or how much we're going to be involved in Ukraine, and then all of a sudden we go from there to Glenn Fry, Don Henley, I think you like that. I don't think we want to be driven into a certain corner or rabbit hole. I think we like the 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 the, the every now and then relief valve for wow. I mean, we've talked about Ukraine for a week or two. Now we're talking about the Eagles and the Beatles and Springsteen and you know all these. Uh, I, I just think there's an appetite for that because I, I think all of our lives we embrace diversity, we embrace complexity. Um, I, I don't wake up every day thinking about the same thing. Do you? I mean, the majority of people, people don't. So I want to find interesting personalities to come on this show. And, and, and you know, it's going to be about an hour long, so it's more of a sprint uh, and less of a marathon. But, but your interaction is the only way I'm able to do this. I mean, if we didn't have callers, I'd quit. I mean, I'd go back home. I couldn't do it because you, you got to have some inspiration. you got to have something. Um, you know the old ping pong table when you fold one side up? And you kind of just bounce the ball off the wall, and the wall never misses. That, that's you. I mean, that ref, ref to some degree is that. Um, and and you become that for me. I've got a lot of ideas that I'm not afraid to bounce off people. But but when you guys call in and participate, it inspires me. It stimulates me. It, it makes me challenge myself. A lot of you text. Uh, many of you have my personal cell phone number, and you text. You're crazy. I mean, I've had people you know text me that you're crazy. Well, okay, what's new? Uh, maybe I am. <laughs> But uh, call in instead of instead of sending a text. It's just uh, you know, it will be an extension of the radio show, but it will we will try to make it as unique in personality, and it'll be its own thing. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. This will be the last day freehold spins in about a year of temperature above thirty. He's moving to the most extreme <laughs> climate in America, and we wish him nothing but the best. Thank you. And I mean that sincerely, Friol. Thank Friol and I have an inside joke. He comes in every now and then, and he starts arranging his work. And I'll say, you don't like your job? How you like your job? Do you like your job? He <laughs> said, what, you know something I don't know? You know, do you know something I don't know? Well, anyway, I wish you nothing but good things, Freehold. And I, I know you're going to count us cold weather, but I hope that's the only negativity that you encounter wish you well in your future endeavors thank you i appreciate it and i will say um so when you work with people every single day so closely like you know side by side there tends to be animosity in you. <laughs> but i this is the only situation i've been in in a situation where you're working so close where i mean there's none of that here and, and i can see how you guys lasted 10 years because there, there really is never any of that, you know, aggression or anything like that. So, um, the, I will say. Well, I mean, the, the one thing, and, and you've been here, well, how long? I mean, not very long, but you've been here a brief period. Ten months. Okay, ten months, nearly a year. Um, the one thing that Rev and I do, it really and truly, I think it's a secret to marriage. My wife and I don't go to bed with many secrets. Now, it ain't pretty sometimes, but we don't go. I mean, you've heard me tell the story. We go from <laughs> cops to Camelot back to cops or from Camelot <laughs> to cops back to Camelot. In about 30 seconds. But but I, I just believe that if you're honest with one another and you're candid with one another and you say what you believe, and I'm not talking about being hurtful or insulting. I know that everything I've done in 11 years, Rev, not to prove of. 
He, I mean, I'm not perfect. He's not perfect. But we've expressed our opinions very openly and candidly with one another. He knows what I'm good at and what I suck at. I know what he's good <laughs> at and what he sucks at. And, and, and that, that's been so clearly distinguishable since day one. And um, and we kind of, he does his thing and I do my. But we Rev, work for the same goal. Well, I mean, but, but Rev will say this. Rev and I don't have this. I mean, we don't hang out after work. I mean, we, we've seen one another to tailgate every now and then, but Rev does his thing. He has his life. I do thing. I have my life. I believe that the less you hang around with people you work with, the more productive your work relationship will remain because all of a sudden, Rev and I go out to dinner and, and uh, you know, I don't know, he doesn't like to chew my food. He doesn't <laughs> like the fact that I'm 10 minutes late or whatever. So I've just always tried to separate my work life from now. My father and grandfather were different, they were my bosses and they were my guiding influences. But, but Rev and I have been together 11 years, and I don't think we've ever had a crossword. We've had some disagreements. I mean, we've had some disagreements about the way things should have been done or, or you know, uh, he's been right some, I've been right some. But, but we've always been open and opinionated about what needs to be done and why. 843-661-0937. Did I misspeak? No, I think that's absolutely accurate. And, you know, I would just add that we are, we, we've done it. Every decision, every discussion, any disagreements, which are, there's not a lot. I mean, but there are a few, um, have all been for the good of the show and keeping our listener, our listeners and our advertisers in mind. Well, and I think you and I bring one thing to the table, and this is a kind of a pat on your back and a pat on mine. You know, you don't have to worry about me doing my job. And I know I don't have to worry about you doing your job. That's a big bonus, guys. I mean, Rev doesn't have to come to work wondering whether my truck's going to be on that parking lot or not. I don't have to wonder whether he's going to walk in that door or not. It's not like, well, everybody oversleeps. You know, everybody misses a day's work every now and then. No, they don't. Not here, they don't. I mean, if, if, there, if there's an excuse and there's a pre-planned reason, then yeah, of course, things happen. But but no, there, there's no one of us letting the other down and not being responsible enough to do the job that we know is required of us. Let's go to the phone. Scott and Florence. Hello, Scott. Hey, um... Yeah, I, I best of luck to uh, Freehold going out to Montana, but I think uh, I think he, I think he'll be back after he ex- get it gets exposed to the elements. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wanted to follow up to an earlier caller who uh, made the comment that he has no idea how you can talk for four hours straight. When uh, I just found out the reason this morning uh, after your show yesterday, I just had my first Celsius. <laughs> And, uh, hey, that's good stuff. It's better. It's, 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 it's got a good flavor. Um, I'm sitting outside of Planet Fitness. I'm getting ready to go in there for about five, four hours and work out. There you but, go. Uh, I, hey, it's a good product, and uh, you have a good show, and uh, you guys have a great day. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah, I just, I just downed my Celsius. Oh, you did. While, while Scott was talking, you were taking your last well, sip. Well, here, here's, I mean, and Rev will tell you this. Um, I am very, very regimented. I'm extremely regimented Monday through Friday. I'm somewhat loose on the weekends, but Monday through Friday, and I tell my kids all the time, um, this is the life I chose. It's not the life you must choose. I mean, I I would rather not be the way I am, but I have a lot of responsibilities. I mean, I've, I've accepted certain things in my life that require my attention. Um, yeah, I tell my kids all the time. Uh, you know, lazy people don't sit in the zone. Lazy people don't, you know, enjoy. I mean, they just don't. And and, and my father instilled in me a, a value system where hard work was a big deal. That that was very important. And um, 
Yeah, I'd love to let my guard down. I'd love to be more complacent than I am, but I have bankers that call me. You know what I mean? I have business partners that let me know when, I, when I'm when i not doing my part, doing my share, doing my, my job. And I do think that's probably um, the, the most important ingredient to mine in Rev's relationship is self-accountability. I don't have to hold Rev accountable. He doesn't have to hold me accountable. I don't, I don't wonder whether he's going to do his job to the best of his ability. And I don't think he has to wonder whether I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability. And I'm telling you guys, if you have a business relationship or a professional relationship where that is a known, you're nine miles ahead of most, because, uh, you know, we're talking about business. We're talking about restaurants. Remember the uh, the Facebook and somebody had a sorry meal at a sorry restaurant. They told the world about how sorry the meal at a sorry restaurant. You don't understand how hard it is to run a business now. And the reason it's so hard to run a business is America has been conditioned to believe half-ass is okay. And it's simply not. I mean, if you're going to do something, do it to the best of your ability. And if you can't do it, you know, just say you can't do it. You know, I can't meet that standard. I can't do that as well as I as I once could or need or need to. But yes, Celsius is a um is a what's the official relationship with Pepsi? I mean, he found out yesterday exactly what that official relationship is. Yeah, I, I was told it is a uh, distributorship and a partnership with Celsius that Pepsi has. And I and I drink one at about nine every day. You do, and um, and it gets me kind of amped up and ready and ready to roll. I drink decaf coffee. Uh, and Rev's probably less of a creature of habit than I am. Would you say that? I mean, you're, you're probably less, uh, less regimented. Oh, there's no than, doubt. Than, than I am. There's no doubt. But but and then once again, I wish I didn't have to be this way. But but I've. I've committed to things that force me to I be. Mean, you, you can almost say, and I don't mean this in a, a bad way, but obsessive in the way that you are regimented for, say, your workout routine. And I mean, I know that. I know there are certain times when you're not available to do stuff related to the radio show and in the future, the podcast, because your workout routine is a very high priority for well, you. Well, I mean, and, 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 and that's regiment, and like I say, not not a bad thing when I say okay, obsessive. Okay, and I'm going to give advice. You ready? Here's some here's some life advice. Make exercise a big part of your life. Don't treat exercise and your health and well-being as an extracurricular. I, I get on this, I get on this um, soapbox every now and then. Your health is, is so important to your happiness, your prosperity, your 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 um, longevity. Uh, take care of yourself. I mean, if I could really grab anybody by the head at Walmart and say, why are you not doing these things? Why have you chosen to do that? Why are you 100 pounds overweight? And I'm not insulting anybody. Rest assured, I don't mean to insult anybody because I think when you're young, you can get away with a lot. I mean, your metabolism, your your, nat- your body's natural ability of healing and, and covering for defects. But as you get older, um, it begins to take a toll. It really and truly does. And and I read a lot. I tried to understand things I read from an intellectual or in an intellectual way. And I read a book about a guy who began exercising, not as an extracurricular, but as part of his job. In other words, if he didn't go to the gym, he felt like he cheated at work. Now, now I understand this. It's not gainful employment. You don't get paid to go to the gym. You get paid to do your job. But But I think it makes you a better employee a better employer, a better husband, a better wife, a better dad, a better mom. I, I just I just think your health is so critical to who you are and how you do things. And, and once again, I think you can get away with a lot of things when you're young. 
But but as we get older, I think exercise has to take on a priority in a lot of our lives. And I don't know how hard it would be to get up at 4.30 in the morning if I didn't exercise an hour and 15, 20 minutes every day. But I'm in the gym. You're right. I'm in the gym two hours a day, five days a week, every week. Not not some weeks, not most weeks, not every now. No, every week. And, and I do that because it's a part of who I've become. And, and, and there's no way I would take on another project like a podcast if I were unhealthy, if I were, you know, 100 pounds overweight. And I'm not saying that to be ugly. I mean, my wife says, be careful when you say those things. I mean, it sounds insulting. I understand that America has an obesity epidemic, but it's our fault. We choose to consume crap. We choose to not go to the gym. We choose to do certain things that we know aren't good for us, and we do it anyway. And I think the human mind has to be reconditioned and convinced that your health and well-being is going to make you better at everything else you ever try in your life. And it will. And I, and I encourage people out there who are struggling with whatever you're struggling with to, um, I don't say join a gym, but, but figure out a way to make exercise a part of your life. You will not regret it. And if you can get to a certain point, you'll feel worse if you don't go than if you do. It'll, it'll become a part of who you are. And, um, yeah, it, it, I am obsessive over that. But, um, but I have to be because I got these other things I got to, to take care of. Cell phone scholarship would be, would be yeah. one that I'm uh, mm-hmm. eternally responsible for, it seems to be. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Thank you. And I mean that sincerely. Thank you for allowing us to try something new and different. We would never, ever try if not for you. Let's go to the phone. And, and we're going to count on you to subscribe and check it out once we there you have go. something for you to there check you go. out. Uh, Jimmy in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning, Jimmy. Good morning. Um, gentlemen, one of the things I wanted to talk about is the shape of our roads. Um, I was going to the bowl game, and I get on the Interstate 95, and I ride that road. There's two lanes all the way down, down to Georgia. Then it expands to three lanes. And from there, you go to Florida, and it expands to four lanes. South Carolina seems to be falling behind when it comes to these these interstates and these roads and the lanes and stuff that we need to to move the, the traffic along. You get one little wreck and you bottleneck all the way back. Um, by going down there, we had to take all the net 17, I believe. It runs parallel with it. But we made some pretty good time, even on a single lane. But um, these these roads need to be expanded in South Carolina. We're really falling behind. Uh, we've got so many 18-wheelers out on the road now, and it makes it very hard to um, even drive down the interstate anymore. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Well, well, the, you're the, talking. Well, I mean, you, you had a big complaint about going to the bowl Man, game and, and getting jammed up in traffic and it being so much better in, in other terrible. states. Here's the – I mean – to me, South Carolina's made a big mistake in not treating 95 as an economic corridor. If you think about I-95, other than Florence, the only other town would be Colleton. I mean, excuse me, Waterboro. Waterboro. Yeah, Waterboro. Um, so you've got an interstate, one of the busiest roads in America, running through your state, and you're treating it as if it's just somewhere for people to transition from one state to the next. And I think we've done a lousy job at creating opportunities along one of the busiest roads in America. And I think expanding, enhancing, improving is obviously going to be a big part of that. But we had that debate about um, 
I-73 and how you get people to the beach has always been a, a hotly debated issue in South Carolina. I don't know the answer to that. I do know that Representative Lowe said that he thinks they funded the improving of 30 miles of interstate, I-95 interstate. I'm thinking it's from Georgia back toward 76. If you get to 76 and, uh, excuse me, 26 and 95, it's south of that, it gets real bad. I mean, That's it really and truly does. Uh, especially in a in a time now it's, it's it's a bit different when every Clemson fan, every Gamecock fan were trying to make their way um, down to South Florida, down to Florida. Gamecocks in North Florida, Clemson uh, down in South Florida. But anyway, trying to make their way to to the Sunshine State. But um, but yeah, I think we neglected I ninety five in a major way, and I think treating it as a kind of a transition corridor from one state to another, kind of a pass through, is is just something that is irresponsible. And I'd love to see us make new investments on 95 that lead to economic development opportunities. Infrastructure is a big deal. We live in a logistics economy. We, we live in a kind of an e-commerce world now. Um, transporting goods from point A to point B is, is a big deal. And I think there are multiple opportunities for South Carolina to grow economically along 95. We just not ever made that a priority. And I don't have any idea why we have it. And I'm not here to blame anybody for that not happening but it does seem we've, we need um, to. we've not done a good job uh, at that. 843-661-0937. We're going to do a little Takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia. Thanks to our good friends at Pepsi of Florence who market Celsius, the energy drink that has me as high as a kite right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, let's go. Can, let's can tell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm fine. <laughs> Is that how you yeah, sound? I didn't smoke any weed during the break. I just drank some more Celsius. I'll be just hey, fine in yeah, a second. That's what you said. So a judiciary hearing was yesterday in Washington, and a lady up for a job, a job at our Justice Department couldn't tell you what Article 5 was, couldn't tell you what Article 2 was. I'm going to ask a very simple question about our nation because I know I can count on our listeners to give me the answer. Ready? The, the first correct answer to this question gets a six-pack of Pepsi product, a couple of takes Mondays to make Friday's T-shirt. Who wrote the Star-Spangled Banner? Maybe, just maybe, one of the Biden appointees could answer that question. <laughs> maybe um, Senator Kennedy was being unfair when he said, you know, what is Article 2? What is Article 5? And they said, uh, I can't recall that from memory. Who wrote the Star-Spangled Banner? Let's go to the phone. Hi, you're on the air. You know the answer? Yes. Francis Scott Key. You are right. Who is this and where are you calling from? Aubrey Montrose and Flowers. Okay, Aubrey, thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. That's kind of a layup, but we had a hard one um, last week. We mm-hmm. talked about the internal combustion engine. The other question I considered, what 19th century engineer devised an internal combustion engine that works without a spark plug? I mean, I got down the road of diesel. It's actually um, uh, Rudolph Diesel, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. I know his last name is Diesel. I think his first name was Rudolph. But, um, yeah, Francis Scott Key wrote the Star-Spangled Banner. Um, a good one. So the Biden nominee doesn't know what Article 5 or Article 2 yeah, nominee for of the Constitution. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Not to be the floor sweeper at the Capitol, you know, not to drive the uh, the bus to get people from point A to point B, but rather somebody who's going to sit on a on a bench as a judge and have enormous authority over the American people. Hey, Freehold, want to wish you nothing but the best. This will be his last 30 seconds of Wake Up Carolina going to the um, the most extreme climate planet in all of America, uh, we wish him nothing but the best. He's tough. He's used to cold weather. I wonder if he's used to 70 below zero, which is uh, <laughs> what he may encounter at cold. some point in time. But um, 
did a great job while he was here and wish him nothing but the best. We'll talk Monday morning. Enjoy your weekend.